Podcast, the only podcast that gives you the full lowdown on four recently released albums. We go deep for you guys to try and work out what's great and sometimes not so great about each one. But before we get into episode seven, I need to introduce you to my esteemed co host. Some say he's the John Oates to my Daryl Hall, the Melania Trump to my Michelle Obama, the C3PO to my R2D2, the Ralph Mouth to my Richie Cunningham. Let me say a big week four of stage four lockdown. Welcome to my old friend and podcast buddy, Arik Bloom. Arik, what's cooking, man? Hey, Woz. What's cooking? I am currently eating a delicious roast made by my housemate, um, Harry Aronston. Um, so that's why you're late? That is why I'm late. It is uh, some roasted tofu and some uh, mm. potatoes and some peas and some broccoli. And in fact, I... I I was just told an awesome fun fact that I uh, I was super surprised yep. to hear. But tonight we've got in um, in Australia, in the far north parts of Queensland, a huge uh, middleweight fight between Jeff oh, Horn yes. and, and Tim, uh, Zoo. Tim Zoo. So I've been all over this all week. In fact, so much so, um, well, there's a, there's a lot of zoo stuff I need to talk about, but we'll start with just the fight. So that's happening right now. Hopefully, yeah, we'll, we'll know the result by the end of the podcast. Um, yep. But uh, but what I found out was that literally at midnight last night, my housemate Harry got a call from some promoter in Queensland going, mate, we didn't realize we we're going to sell this many tickets and we need you to make more graphics for the big screens. So wow. he was up all, yeah, he was up all night last night making graphics for the big screens. Uh, what sort of graphics? Take, I don't know. It's probably like something like fighting, victory, <laughs> revenge. Bam. Like, like Batman. Bam. Boom. Yeah, exactly. Crash. Like Batman. Kapow. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's, been, uh, that's been happening. That's the, kind of the short-term stuff. Short-term being the last mm -hmm. 10 minutes. More medium-term yep. being the last sort of seven hours. Um, about two months ago, I, uh, I, was, on, uh, I was drunk, actually, um, in my hot tub. And my friend sent me a a jacket to buy um, on eBay, <laughs> which was I've a a uh, it was a um, I guess a souvenir Riveting. celebrating an incredibly uneventful heavyweight boxing match in 1993 featuring Riddick Bowen <laughs> and Vanny Holyfield, and that actually arrived this week. But interestingly, to link it all back, at the same time as I purchased this jacket, which felt great in, the, in that moment it still feels great um yeah. I, I was like i'm gonna look up some costa zoo um paraphernalia and some some fanfare and i i found this dvd and book um uh, basically written by costa zoo who is a famous australian um junior welterweight champion uh born in a mountainous region of russia and great uh, rat's I, tail. he had a great rat's tail and i purchased a um uh, a DVD and book for my friend Jeremy who lives in Sydney and I sent it to him and then at the same time I went on some like weird website in Ontario Canada and bought a Costa Zoo t-shirt and I never got an email and I never got a message and I was like oh I think I stuffed that one up and lost you know $300,000 on the t-shirt and um, uh, alas 
today. It showed up in the mail and uh, I sent it to my friend. Wow, and it should be that's a sign. Shortly, which, which I think is a sign to say that Tim Zhu is going to win against Jeff Horn tonight. So that has been my short term. That's been the last day. I can tell you what I did yesterday or should we get down to like what you did? Oh, well, I, you've added yourself as a as a real boxing man over the last couple of episodes. Who do you think is mm. going to win? Well, I've got a feeling Jeff Horn's actually going to win. Um, I think Tim I hope so. a bit, I like Jeff. Yeah, well, I don't like Jeff Horn, but I do like Jeff Horn's trainer, who, by the way, is a is some kind of uh, kung fu master. Who, yeah, Queensland kung fu master. So a lot of Queensland coming into this week's episode. We might look into that a little bit later. Um, but I think Jeff Horn will win. I think he's got the more experience. Um, yeah. So that's uh, that's been my week. What about you, Was? How have you been? Um, my week's been good. I've been I've been working up to uh, doing a bit of running because uh, I've had right. a I've had a long history of knee issues, and I've been working up to like a five k run. And tonight I did six point five k's. I'm pretty happy. Um, I've finished reading the the uh, the Questlove book. Uh, this oh, week, cool. which was Mo Mo Better Blues, I think. I don't know what it's called. Can't even remember. But it was a really good book. Started the Springsteen book. I've Beautiful. been deep in the Donny Benet instructional video, like paradise. This how's week, it, how's I, I, keep, I feel like I want to go back. Up? I want to go back and rate Donny's album on the back of watching those videos. I think I want to bump it up because, well, I gave him an eight point eight on the sub sub scale, so I think I'd push that up to a ten, um, and. Not only is the Jeff Horn Tim Zoo fight happening tonight, the the new Kylie Aldis single, which I wrote, is uh, being released worldwide tonight. Snap! The big reveal, ladies Bang. and gentlemen. This entire the, the last six weeks has just been the uh, the entree <laughs> Free to what this is really all about, and that's Waza plugging his new music, ladies and gentlemen. Warren Hunter. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, I, like I'm so proud. Feel so proud that I was chosen to write this first single, and it's you know it's a big moment for me. It is a big and, moment. Uh, and maybe we'll review it. Yeah, maybe, maybe we shouldn't do that. That's next that week's podcast. Me, cut too deep. That's, I can't wait. That's a bonus podcast. Um, so that's been my week. It's been it's actually been really good. Um, I'm I'm doing well on this week four. Uh, looking forward to getting into tonight. So Eric, after the inflatable spa recap meeting mm. and a long and productive session with the All Music Is Good podcast focus group, yep. we've decided to mix things up a bit this week. Um, the feedback was less Eric and was more guest reviewer. So mm. this week we've listened to what the public have told us. And we're going to introduce our guest reviewer straight off the back, off the bat. So it's been brought to our attention that a number of comments we've made on this podcast may potentially be subject to Australian libel laws. So to mitigate this, we're bringing in the heavy artillery this week. We're about we to introduce a man who was a major focus of our third episode to help navigate us through such things as Rx previously mentioned vagrancy and hand surfing charges. Not to mention the legalities surrounding our ability, to, our ability to even shout out an unofficial sponsor. That's some dark and murky waters we need to traverse tonight. Eric, I know this man is very dear to you, so I'm going to handball this across to you to do the honours. Thank you, Waza. 
So, in keeping with the spirit of um, really casting the net far and wide to find our special guests for each week, um, just to kind of recap, last week we had uh, the amazing Ryan Munro from the Cat Empire, who basically <laughs> had commented on one of our posts, which was more or less the green light to get him on the show. Um, he broke us, Eric. He did break us. So, this week, we are thrilled to introduce a man who is very, very dear to my heart. Uh, I call him the big bro. The, he's, he's basically tread every path uh, that I seek to tread. And he is a brilliant musician, a brilliant producer in his own right. And in, uh, in 2020, he, uh, he takes on, he speaks truth to power 24-7 and laughs all the way to the bank. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen... I would like to make a huge All Music Is Good welcome to the one and only Ben Rinderman. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Gentlemen, it's it's beyond an honour to be here, but just just before we get on to it, I want to hear more about old boxing fights. <laughs> I will. I will. I'll give you something, Benzer, and then we'll throw it back to you. But um, look, all week... I have actually, like, I, I tend to go through weight divisions week to week, and this week I, I basically special, I basically focused in on the uh, on the middleweight division of the mid nineteen eighties. I can, tell, I can tell you that through COVID, I've changed weight divisions several times myself. I bet you have. I bet you have. We can see that. So, so, so uh, this week I've been um, I've been studying the amazing rivalry between four of the great middleweights. Uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. I'm sorry, I, I just I feel like I need to cut in. I really don't care. Okay, well like let I, me finish I, this story I, because I, I, I honestly don't. I'm gonna finish. Don't let ask me the question finish. if you don't want to go on with it. <laughs> so where we where where it ended up was basically uh, four middleweight uh, contenders: uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, Hearns. I forget his first name. Uh, Roberto Duran and marvelous Marvin Hagler, and um, these guys like basically fought all the time through the eighties. And I got into a marvelous Marvin Hagler kind of research hole, and I learned, and this is quite appropriate to you, was as someone that just returned to running, that marvelous mm. Mar Marvin Hagler didn't have the world's most amazing talent, but he did have a deep discipline and an immense fitness. And in fact, he used to run through he was he was based in the northern parts of uh the u.s and he used to run in the winter through cape cod in combat boots through the snow screaming war war and uh, i thought that was the toughest thing i've ever heard Dude, that's so, legitimately the plot of rocky four i know <laughs> so yesterday <laughs> that's actually what happens in rocky four does he lift like bundles of logs and stuff he totally, must totally logs he must so yesterday, I, I was like, I'm going to channel a bit of Hagler in my own, you know, 5K run through the flat, sunny, uh, you know, terrain of inner city hipster Melbourne. And I Generally frowned upon to be screaming war while you're running in the street. <laughs> well, I did, I did do that. I did do that. I, did, I definitely tested it out. And I can say to everyone at home that... Um, 
Uh, look, we've got a pretty big police and military presence in Melbourne at the moment, and uh, my behaviour was not like it was not nor tongue in cheek funny. It was not um, <laughs> cute. It was kind of terrifying, and I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> not cute is just the most apt description. <laughs> so Benza, let's uh, let's talk let's let's talk about what's been happening with you. I, I guess you know. Uh, You've, you've obviously had quite an illustrious career across uh, multiple spaces in music. Tell us if you can just sort of sum it up. Um, you know, give us the D-Lo for the last 20 years. What's been happening? <laughs> Shit, that's a long time. Okay, so I... All right, well, I, I was a, a, a piano player and a keyboard player for a long time in Melbourne. Uh and I was I was telling was off air earlier that we uh, in fact know a lot of the same people and played with a lot of the same people because we're roughly the same age and kind of came up through the same sort of period in Melbourne and uh, so I was a, a piano and keyboard player for for a long long time and that led me into uh, producing electronic music and and I did a, a, a lot of touring off the back of that and released a bunch of albums uh, under a pseudonym Benza. Uh, and then uh, after, I mean, all, and all of this kind of overlaps and it all kind of runs uh, cross and, and parallel and, and throughout each other. And uh, So after that, I uh, started managing a record label by the name of Obese Records uh, and mm-hmm. I was general manager for them for four or five years and that was a, a relatively foundational Australian hip-hop record uh, label and I worked with bands like Muffin Plutonic and Hilltop Hoods and Draft and Illy and... Um, artists like that and that was a, a really revealing uh, really revealing I suppose foray into the, the corporate edge and the, the business side of uh, the Australian recorded music industry uh, and then I did some teaching and I, uh, I taught at, at Box Hill College of Music for, for a number of years and then I moved up to Queensland and uh, taught for TAFE Queensland and Central Queensland University uh, and throughout that was doing some playing with, with some singer-songwriters and, and with some bands around the place and uh, producing some, uh, some projects as a, as a record producer and then also my, my own electronic stuff through that time as well. Uh, and after that, uh, went into the law, which was a, a, a degree that I, I'd done a long, long time previous. And uh, earlier this year, opened my own law firm in Criminal Law uh, and is what is the name of that law firm, Benza? <laughs> <laughs> it's, funny, it's funny you should ask. Uh, and my lawyers will be in touch with yours. Of course I can. It's called Lummy Rindam and Legal and I can say it because I own it. <laughs> uh, and we, we, we specialise in, in criminal law. Uh, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, that's been an absolute pleasure. But also through that time, I've, uh, since moving to the Sunshine Coast, I've been a, a, a kind of music consultant for uh, ABC Sunshine Coast. And I hosted a, a segment for them on their breakfast show where I'd, I'd review and introduce a song every morning. And then I did some work with John Kogel, who hosts their Saturday morning show. And he was the drummer in Powderfinger. Uh, yes, and so he's not only an amazing musician, but also a, a really, really good journalist. So we did a segment together for an hour on a Saturday morning for six months or so, which was which was a, an awful lot of fun. Uh, so, yeah, I've, I've never really stopped and I've never really lost touch with it. And it's uh, it's something that sustains me every day. Hey, Arik, can, can I can I get buddy in for a second? 
Um, can I can I tell you the story about? We, we, we Ben and I were chatting in the green room before, and mm. and it turns out that we actually worked <laughs> possibly for room. for a, for a five for a five week period at the same theatre cabaret restaurant in Melbourne. But I want to tell you my other story of how I came across Ben Rinderman. It was it was at the Evelyn Hotel on Brunswick Street in oh, Fitzroy. Nice. And I think it, I think it was probably around the mid early to mid two thousands, and I was there to see a friend's band play like a midweek slot, and like I had no idea what was about to take place. Of course, like I'd heard of Ben around the traps, but Bugger like off. what was presented what was presented to me was this like crazy wild haired dancing man rocking a Novation base station, I believe it was mm. Ben. Mm-hmm. Is that what, did you it rock was. one of those? I did. And he was doing his utmost to totally overshadow his more well-known frontman. Mm. <gasps> you saw the band kind was of called Kind of Pluto. To be honest, Ben, like I don't remember much about the gig, but I clearly, clearly remember you. And I remember thinking at the time, I've really got to get me one of those base station thingies. They're <laughs> wild. That's amazing. Is there any comments like on the status of Kind of Pluto that you want to make? Make obviously there's tension. There was tension that you shared between Gatesy on stage. Like that was obvious because no, not like, at all. Gatesy's one of my best friends in the whole world and still <laughs> remains so to this day. Love him very, very dearly. Dude, you can't <laughs> no, rock that no, kind honestly, of personality and there not be fiction. There, there was friction. He's, he's <laughs> one of the world's more magnificent yeah. people. He's one of my best friends. He's a to legend. This day. But that's amazing that that you saw that band because I reckon you're probably one of only a couple of hundred that ever did. And we loved it. We, we believed so hard in that band and we, we, yeah, we were, well, so far as I was concerned, we were destined for greatness. And, and I, I I honestly think that we were on to, we were onto something and, and there was a real chemistry and, and, and Gatesy writes great songs. God damn. He's an amazing songwriter. Yeah, yep. and uh, wow, that's mad that you saw that band. <laughs> I'd imagine you you would have been onto something until the band just basically broke up due to ego battles between the keys player and the singer. So yeah, it was obvious. You could see that. Bastard, such friction. <laughs> Casey was. I mean, he was trying to upstage Casey at all times on that set. I remember. That's what, it was the base station that was trying to outshine everybody. <laughs> whilst we're whilst we're on this topic, because I, I I might add to this wonderful narrative, um, so my I had an incredibly mid tier soul band um, in the early two thousands, and we could not hold on to good musicians. They would always leave to bigger and better projects. So there was always a seat at the table <laughs> for someone to fill in. <laughs> so there was one week that we did this gig at a venue called the Nightcat in Fitzroy. And um, obviously our keys player had something better to do that night. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to call my big bro Ben's up and we're going to get him in on the gig. So Ben's are rocked up with an Ovation bass station and like literally like a rack unit of electronic music gear for a soul band. And we're like, okay. That was, it was a lot of gear. I think I had a Yamaha YC75 uh, double layer organ and a leslie speaker and i think i had a whirly and the bass station all all it was in a the lot. same rig it took me it was 45 minutes to set up <laughs> it was a lot of gear but ben's there was one instruction and it's the kind of instruction that you give to like you know a first gamer in, in an afl footy game just with raw talent <laughs> and no concept or knowledge of tactics which is just just get out there and play get it get it get the ball kick it get out there and play so we basically designed the entire set 
for these like 20 minute long key solos for Ben's at a whale. And I mean, I mean, I was, I kind of had, I kind of had a say in it. Just, I, I was just in like heaven. I was like, yes, man, go, go, get it, go, go, go. I certainly was. I wasn't backward in coming forward. You were definitely not backward in coming forward. And it was, um, look, goes down as one of my favorite gigs of all time. I don't know how much the audience loved it, but there was, uh, there was a lot of deep gazing. There was a lot of deep gazing from, from my end of the stage to yours, <laughs> which you was mean? just like... The self-indulgent Ben Rinderman fest of three hours at the Nightcat. <laughs> it was amazing. I just keep on backing yourself, man. It was, it was great. So... So look, there's a there's a lot of layers here. We'll probably get into um, uh, is it Lu- what is it Lumen and Rinderman, Lamy Rinderman legal. Lam and Rinderman. I love legal. how, I love how many times you're asking me to say this. It makes me very proud. Yeah, LR legal, um, uh, an That'll unofficial do. previous podcast sponsor. So we're, we're thrilled to have you here, Benza, a man of many talents. Thanks, man. I think that's a good good throw to me, Eric, because like I now need to get into the real reason why you've been invited onto the podcast tonight, Ben. I'm sure you're familiar with the radio station 774, ABC Melbourne. Of course I am. Okay, so for a very long time on the morning program, first hosted by one John Fane and now Virginia Trioli. I didn't know Virginia was hosting that. Now, I've been out of town for a long time and I do miss John Fane. Yeah, Virginia, Virginia's the new host. Um, and they've got a legal segment that's been co-hosted by Melbourne resident lawyer David Whiting. And it's basically a slot, Eric, whereby like random people ring in with various boundary fence issues or kids trying to steal their parents' super, like, can I write a will in pencil, that sort of I'm shit. I'm so here and for this. So we've, we've made a strategic decision, Eric and I, to really try and capture some more of that AM radio market share with this podcast. Absolutely. Really, we've got you in under false pretenses to answer all manner of legal questions throughout the pod tonight. <laughs> so when I ask you a question throughout the show, Ben, you're going to have three options, okay? You can either choose, one, to offer us your legal expertise, two, not offer us your legal expertise, or three, <laughs> which is the special one, if you want to appear on future episodes of the All Music Is Good podcast, your response will be, I'll take that under advisement, Moz, and come back to you on a future episode to answer that question more fully, thus guaranteeing you a recurring role on the All Music Is Good podcast. Now, this is a, an audio, this is an audio medium rather than a visual one, but so I need to tell everybody that I have two fists in the air. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take that under advisement. All right, yeah, as am I. <laughs> <laughs> so the first question, Benza, then, is for some weeks now. Both Arik and I have been alerted to an extremely concerning detail. It's come to our attention that PBS FM have been trolling our podcast and picking all our favourite albums to become their album of the week. Arik, you're on this, aren't you? I'm all over this. This is um, this is a scandal. Yeah, do we have a case to prosecute? Because really, this is outrageous behaviour. I'm calling it out. Leanne LaHarvis, Kamar Williams, literally no one has heard of these people until we talked about them on our podcast. And I'm calling blatant plagiarism. I don't want to know if we've got a case. Do we have a case? No. Hard no. Fuck. Like the hardest of no. You're, you're referencing people that have released publicly facing product. They want oh. this to happen. If they'd, if they'd sampled you and played your reviews on PBS and said, well, we, we reckon what they reckon, they, you still wouldn't have a case. Because there's an exception to copyright law for the purposes of review and analysis. 
So this is what we want. This is what we got him on for. This hard That's hitting, right. straight up legal advice. We have been and told we will take that direct. under advisement, and we'll get a second opinion on that. No, I, right. I understand so, that there's there's a, a I understand that there's a post process that this is going to go through. Every time I talk, I want you to end it with that gung gung from uh, Law and Order. We'll get it. We'll get it. <laughs> We're getting it. Thank you. We need something gung other gung. than Sale of the Century. <laughs> no, I love Sale of the Century. I love it. In my in my extensive research for my appearance on this uh, auspicious podcast, um, the Sale of the Century honestly was my favourite part of the whole thing. <laughs> Apart from That's Ryan Munro's story about his flat pack furniture, which is gripping to this day. Look, in keeping with um, ensuring that everything is above, above board, uh, what we'll do, Benza, is we will insert um, some copyrighted music into every time that you advise us on copyright, and we'll see how that plays Perfect. out over the week, and we'll be calling you. Best place to start is with someone like Madonna or Michael Jackson, where there's like <laughs> zero value in, in, the, in the recorded master, because they the, those motherfuckers don't care. Like... <laughs> They're happy for you to just sample it and use it anywhere. Done. Thank you, LR Legal. Thank you, LR Legal. Okay, <laughs> unofficial sponsors of episode three. Okay, we're going to move on to the Instagram uh, segment. So each week, Benzer, I don't know if you're aware of this because you only like Sale of the Century and Ryan Munro's flat pack furniture. So this... No, 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 I know, I know. I know all about Daniel Riccardi. Okay, so okay, so I'm just going to set it up anyway, so shut up. Each week, we shout out one special person to add to our Instagram Hall of Fame. So for the first number of episodes, we've been quietly assembling an Avengers-style team that will be the envy of all other podcasts when it's complete. So as you know, so far we have Danny Rick, Jessica Watson, Tom Selleck, and last week we added the big Fijian, VJ Singh. And Eric, I'm pleased to say that VJ's Instagram game is strong. I saw him on Instagram this week out in the links, and his swing's looking good. His swing is looking amazing, and the weather looked great wherever he was. Did I reckon he lives in PG still? I don't know. I'd say it's, it feels it definitely felt um, uh, equatorial. Equ- oh, that's nice. I like that word. I was going to say a bit. Uh, pol- oh, no, have, I'll just go with equatorial. equatorial so each week, of right. um, Benza, I've given Eric some clues to see if you could guess um, who the the week's recipient is. Am I being brought in on the guess? Because I oh my god, that would be really <laughs> exciting. He's proven himself quite poor at guessing. So we wanted to tap into your sharp analytical legal mind to cast your eyes over some clues. I'm going to present some factual information about this mystery person to see if you can reach... Can I, can I just interject at this point, knowing that we are all three men of, of a particular age who all love the AFL football, there is a moment in this podcast, which is quite this one, that reminds me of the Could Have Been Champions. And yeah. it, it makes me it makes me very proud to be an old Melbourneian. So please, sorry, do go on. I just I I wanted to relay that bit of sentimentality. Oh look, uh, look, you've called it because I've just said we wanted to tap into an AM market this week. So you know, there you go. There's the link. Th- thanks for pointing it out and making it so obvious. All right, my pleasure. The first clue f- for this week, people. This person has been blessed with an XY chromosome, and he is the father. To five children. So that's my first clue. The second clue is this person was a well known public figure around the turn of the century, and he still is to a lesser extent, but at the height of his fame, he was the centre of one of the most talked about love triangles of recent memory. 
So we're talking male, currently of five children, and he was the centre of a famous love triangle. A recent okay. love triangle? Uh, no, it was, he was at the time. He was, love he triangle was at the turn of the century. Of love triangle at the okay. turn of the century, yep. Okay, so I'm going to go on with another clue. And this is, this is probably my last clue because I don't want to make it too easy. Lastly, this person has a very unusual first name. And this first name is also the first word, uh, first word in the name of a very well-known town. And I will say that this well-known town is a fictional town. And this last per this person's first name is also fictional. Hang on, hang on. The the person's last name is fictional. No, the first name, person's first name, is the name of a his fictional last small name, town. He, yeah, and his name's also fictional. <laughs> As is his last name. Is fictional. Yep. So you should. <laughs> You should draw the conclusion that and this he's a person fictional character is a character. Right. Okay. I'm drawing it. Drawing. What are we thinking? I reckon you've gone quite. You've gone into this like vortex of like you're reaching back into your brain. Um, yeah. No. I mean, it. I'm going deep. I'm going deep into the reasons of my mind. Uh, turn of the century. Five children. First name. Huxtable. A fictional name. No, it's not. Okay. It's a unanimous decision. It's, it's not Dr. Huxtable, is it? Does he have five kids? Oh, yeah, he did have five kids. Or did he have four kids? Theo, <clears throat> Denise, um, Lenny Kravitz's his girlfriend, and the Rudy. other one. Trudy. Rudy. I said Rudy first. <laughs> Tr- sorry, Trudy, Rudy. Rudy, Denise. <laughs> Denise. <laughs> Lenny Kravitz's girlfriend. <laughs> and the young one. That was four. I think it's four. Think so it's I not, no, it's right. not him. I think it's four. Okay. I, I, Was I? I think I, I, we're stuck, man. Do we have one more clue for us? Or no, I don't think so. I think we just do it because I think we just need to leave this alone and move on. Um, I want to say a big welcome to the All Music is Good Instagram like to one James Vanderbeek, otherwise known as Dawson Leary from Dawson's Creek. Oh, Dude, yeah! Awesome. I so love that. On, I James love that. is well a fictional town. No, no, no. Dawson is a fictional. Oh, Dawson God, Leary. Dawson. <laughs> okay, that is big news. You know, strangely, was a. Um, mm-hmm. I don't. Again, I'm going to say that. In, there's something in the air. No, no, no. I, this has nothing to do with anything that you've mentioned, actually. But strangely, this week, um, I was chatting to a friend of mine who was having um, some kind of issue in Paris and we started discussing the movie uh, Go. Do you remember the movie Go? Starring, oh yeah, that's um, a great movie with the guy from Party of Five. That's right. Bailey starring from Party of Five. From yeah. Party yeah, of Bailey five. from Party of Five. And um and then I and then I was like the I, great, yeah. Really emotional show. <laughs> Anyways um, it just made me think of Dawson's Creek. So n- nothing to do with Dawson's <laughs> Creek, Bailey from Party of Five, but it did make me think about Dawson's Creek. So um, you know, great Great uh, mid nineties game was it? Yeah, uh, it was actually ninety eight to two thousand and three. The series was on, so not quite mid nineties, late nineties. But yes, I, uh, I I never really was that into it to be honest. I was more of a Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero man because like they uh they sort of finished high school the same year I finished high school, so like we had a sort of bit of connection, 
and they won't have to. Did you? Did, did, you or, did you also look? Did you also look thirty-five years old when you finished high school? Was it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I no. I don't know if you set this up on purpose, but now that you've mentioned Party of Five, I think it's important to point out that Jennifer Love Hewitt, who of course played mm. Bailey's love interest on Party of Five, yes. had an ill-fated singing career. Oh, I didn't she, know that. Like she, in fact, she toured Australia. Uh, and did a spot on Rove Live. Uh, and of course, as was the way back then, she had a band of local musicians backing her who were miming the house down. And one of mm-hmm. my greatest claims to fame is that I mimed with Jennifer Love Hewitt on Rove oh, Live. That's so good. <laughs> that I just can't believe you set that up for me to deliver this. <laughs> we're all about featuring our guests on this show. Absolutely. Oh, dude, this is like no one, no one. Gives me an opportunity to talk about J Love H. <laughs> yeah, how was she? Was she nice? Uh, yeah, for the eight seconds that I met her, and and as I think I've told Herrick before, it was one of those times where I I got to the studio and went right. What does this song sound like? <laughs> yeah, right. There's a lot you can there's a lot you can mime behind a keyboard when you haven't heard the song before, and you just go, yeah, it sounds like this. <laughs> And I reckon I bet you he did the same thing that he did to Gates. He just like danced like a wild man Absolutely. and friction and Bastard. wouldn't have gone down well. <laughs> we can safely say that that was the first and only gig that Benza played with Jennifer Love Hewitt. <laughs> Absolutely. He's banned how, from Rove forever how dare after. You? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've gone a full 30 minute intro. People don't want to hear us crap on. We need to get to the music. I think we'll move on. How, how about it, guys? Let's Done. go. So the first album we have for you this week is by the Australian band Cut Copy. They've got a new album out called Freeze Melt, and I'm going to hand it over to you, Eric, to do the honours. Thanks, Wes. So Cut Copy are an Australian synth pop band formed in 2001 by DJ Dan Whitford, the vocalist, keyboardist and guitarist. Initially a home recording project, the band now also include Tim Hoey, Ben Browning and Mitchell Scott. They've, they've released five studio albums and a number of EPs and singles. They achieved breakthrough success in 2008 with their second album, In Ghost Colours. Some of their most well-known singles include Light, Lights and Music, Hearts on Fire and Take Me Over. Cut Copy was established in 2001 in Melbourne. Um, at that time, Dan Whitford was a DJ and graphic designer, like pretty much most people in Melbourne. Um, Whitford was educated at Scotch College and studied graphic design at Monash University. During his studies, he became interested in dance music and, became, and began DJing whilst hosting a radio show. Around this time, he bought a sampler and keyboards to experiment with music. Um, he was inspired by the indie lo-fi stuff as much as dance. Upon graduating, uh, Whitford co-founded the design agency Alter, who continued to produce all of the graphic material for the band. So that's a little bit of a background about um, yeah. Dan Whitford, which may legitimately be the the quintessential cliche of most <laughs> men in Melbourne. <laughs> um, so, look, an amazing band. We're going to get right into it. But I thought I'd just give a quick little anecdote about my own kind of um, experience as a punter seeing Kite co- Cut Copy. Um, their first show was actually in 2003 at a festival called Livid Festival, which um, was previously a Queensland festival, but they brought it down to Melbourne in 2003 mm. and they played uh the whole festival happened at the, um the 
the tennis center, Rod Laver Arena, and the surrounding tennis courts. And uh, their, their first show was in front of 5,000 people, which is, which is a pretty amazing mm. way to start your career. But as a side note, that festival was so terribly undersold that more or less everyone I knew got a free ticket. Did you guys go to Live at Festival in 2003? No, I wasn't no. there. Did Faith uh-huh. No More play there? No, there no, 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 no. You're getting, you're getting confused. You're getting... The... No, I'm thinking Alternative no, Nation. You're, you're thinking Alternative, alternative nation. nation. That's the one you're thinking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Livid Festival. No, I didn't go to Livid. No, look, it was a great day. Um, my main memories of that show was um, there, was this, there was this act named Harmar Superstar um, who was really popping mm. early, you know, beginning, beginning of the 2000s. And at the festival, he had a tantrum and, um, and basically but stormed off. I love a festival off, tantrum. Stormed off the stage. Um, but with all of these great acts, I think J5 played there. Um, the White Stripes played there. Obviously, Copy played wow, there. But sick. I will say, straight up... That was J5. The, oh, it was amazing. They were amazing. Yeah, sure. But the, the biggest highlight of the day, and uh, I reckon anyone listening will, who was there will completely agree with this, was there was this freestyle battle stage just outside of the main stage. And oh, at that point... Uh, Melbourne MC Infor Jones basically laid waste to Melbourne's worst Aussie hip hop MCs, which I'm sure at some point, Benzo, you probably represented. Um, so that was a real. That was. That, that sounds amazing. What just was stood there and absolutely slayed all comers. Slayed all comers. What was that? Was was that before or after 1200 techniques? That was after 1200 techniques. So, oh, okay. anyways, Brilliant. that was a so little side. That was so I saw Cut Copy that day as well. They were amazing. And then finally, the last time I actually saw Cut Copy was in 2010 at a Spanish festival outside of Valencia called Benny Cassin. <laughs> and my <laughs> friend, because of course you did. Of course, just I another did. Anecdote. And my friend, my friend John Hall, uh, who is a Melbourne institution and a front of house guy, he was doing front of house for Cut. Copy. He's a Melbourne institution. And I used to book John Hall for gigs for Obese Records. He's a gun, the, man. Absolute gun. Legend. Love you, Johnny. So what struck me when I watched Cut Copy in 2010 was just how massive this band was outside of Australia. These guys were mm. full-blown Euro Festival headline band. They were the biggest band on the bill. A bit Go like DMAs and Donny Vinay. Yeah, very, very much so. Um so that really, really struck Cat me. Empire. And set at that, yeah. So th- their set at that show really blew me away. But finally, the last little thing I'd like to talk about before we get into the review of their music was also at that festival was another band called Public Image LTD, and they played directly after Cut, cut Copy. And for anyone familiar with the name, Public Image LTD was the band fronted by John London from the Sex Pistols. Um, after the Sex you Pistols broke up. You can also call them Public Image Limited, if you... Um, limited. Yeah, yeah. Thank public you, Image Benza. Limited. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I was going to say. And, uh, we do <laughs> need... We do that, need that's this. a legal thing, Eric. That's a legal yeah, thing. Oh, right, it's a legal <laughs> thing. They will sue. <laughs> they will. So, at this festival, I was watching um, Public Image, and as I was watching, a fight broke out on stage between the guitarist and John Lydon, which, again... W- I'm sure Benza can talk about that sort of tension um, in bands because uh, <laughs> such <laughs> bastards. <laughs> but what what happened was um, they basically stormed up stormed off stage, and I, given the fact that uh, you know I was rolling with John Hall, he uh, 
he granted me a AAA pass to basically run around the entire festival. So I quickly ran backstage and recorded John Lennon and his guitarist having a massive blue and they were both in their late 50s. And in fact, this is something I think we could probably put on the podcast. So let me Holy see shit, if I can do you have that up. audio? I've got, the, I've got the audio. So we might see, uh, we'll check with our lawyer to see if we can actually place that in this podcast. Anyways. If, if that's me, then I'm totally into it. I want to hear it. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about the record. Um, uh, look, uh, you know, for me... There were some really standout songs. Um, uh, the first one that really stood out to me was a song called "Like Breaking Glass." It reminds mm-hmm. me. It reminded me somewhat of the type of kind of piss take bands that we've got coming up, like say Client Liaison, who are doing this sort of like tongue in cheek throwback. Yeah. Except yeah. what was amazing about this was it was done completely properly, authentically, without a tongue in cheek approach. It literally felt like a, a proper celebration of the genre rather than some kind of you know, um, obtuse hipster kind of in joke, and, and and I think Eric, I've got that's, I've, I've got a note written here that says they weren't mining the eighties B side B side shtick, which a heap of bands try to do. Correct. Well, I've got something on that uh, coming up actually. So another song that I really loved um, on the record was "Love Is All We Share." I felt it sits somewhere between LCD Sound System, the XX, and James Blake. And, um, and, and the vocals and the melody were just beautiful um, and, and completely connected and believable and enjoyable. Um, one little note I had on that track was it felt like, as I was listening to it, a Netflix music supervisor was about to storm into my bedroom and scream, fuck you, take our money. This is the next <coughs> Netflix series about kids in 2020 nostalgically reflecting on an era that they never lived through. That was yes. my, my take on, um, on the song Love Is All We Share. But I've, it's but, incredible you know, with, with, that you say that, because, and I don't mean to foreshadow anything, but that's exactly everything I fucking hated about this record. Okay, you settle down, Benza, because yeah, this is a, a positive all music. This is all music is good. That's our oh, vibe. it's all good. All, all music is good out of 10. Okay. So I, I loved the mix of the Prophet synth and the 808 and, um, and it just blended beautifully. Another really cool track for me was a song called Running in the Grass. I thought it had a really cool sort of Southeast Asian pop vibe to it, sort of part gamelan, part club. And um, yeah, I think, look, it's a good record. If you're into cut copy, it's it's completely going to be something you're going to be into i um i i felt that i sort of cruised through it enjoyed it um and and i thought that what it is it does brilliantly what do you reckon was it oh dude sorry benza i'm just going to take this more like more than any other drum machine in the existence of drum machines it's the roland cr78 that is embedded in my dna it's mm. it's like a musical memory that has been with me since I was a kid and I first heard the song Kiss on my list. Hence my reference today in the intro to the Great Hall Notes, Eric. Um I just wanna that's, get some acknowledgement that I linked that. As a as a guest, that's a brilliant throwback. The C R seventy eight Hall and Oates Hall to Oates throat, that's superb podcasting, gentlemen. Well done. 
thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll take the credit for that. Um, I actually think um, that Hall and Oates might be this top-selling duo of all time. Um, how many th- how many hits do they have? Like you know, Kiss and Malice, Sarah Smiles, More than Simon and Girl, Make My Dream Comes Through. Oh, that's a good. No, I reckon they would have. Uh, I reckon they definitely would have had more than Simon and Garfunkel. More than Lennon and doubt. McCartney. That's not. They're no, not that doesn't duo, work. Though. You jerk off. They're a songwriting team <laughs> in a band called the Beatles. Eric. Anyway, um, Eric, we, you and I have been disagreeing a hell of a lot lately, and it's sort of felt like we it's been driving a wedge between us. And it has been. It's been a bit. It's been awkward. Yeah, it has been awkward. It's getting awkward. And I just want to say, short in a segment, I just want to say I needed this album this week, so thank you for bringing it up. Um, I'm sure I must have heard cut copy tunes before. Obviously, know the name. I actually didn't know they were from Melbourne, but like if you asked me to name a song or point to an album, I just wouldn't be able to. So I was, I was actually interested to spend some time with them. Do you reckon maybe that they binged three seasons of Stranger Things when they wrote this album? Well, I guess that's a really good question because they. They like they did the premonition for Stranger <laughs> Things. It's not they binged it. It's the producers oh, of Stranger Things binged to cut copy, copy in, yeah. in 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 putting the soundtrack together. Oh, I wouldn't know because wow. I never listened to cut copy before. Anyway, I just want to put it on the public record that I love Stranger Things and I really love this album. Um, like, this is the sort of album that I'd want to come on if I was sitting in, like, a backstreet Tokyo Isakawa at sort of 3 a.m., completely lost in translation. I just thought it was, um, it was, I thought it was a synth pop masterclass. Um, like, the CR78 was the bedrock of most of the songs. It laid down the foundation for, like, Euro Psych synth pop. And the compositions were good. The use of instrumentation was really good. Each song flowed into each other like it was a DJ set. Um, I, there was a lot to like about this release, and I'm sort of a bit mad about thing. A bit mad that I've never listened to them before. So, um, as as you were saying, I really like that. Like they these guys weren't trying to go for the B side; they were actually going for A side sort of stuff. I thought um, I was getting references to Thompson Twins, The Cure, Tears for Fears. Um, there was like a like a real indie electro aesthetic at play. So the songs that I liked were like like you did like like Breaking Glass. I really liked that circular Tom groove, and mm. Love Is All We Share, which had like that Matrix style telephone sample at the front. You know when someone would enter the enter the Matrix, it makes that telephone sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and anything yeah. that makes me think of the Matrix leads me to Keanu, which leads me to the <laughs> fact that there's like a new Bill and Ted's movie coming out soon. I mean, what the fuck? What the fuck so, alternative reality are we living in? Like maybe we're so in the, the Matrix. So the thing you liked about this album was Bill and Ted. <laughs> Well, look, Correct. speaking of alternative realities, Wazza, <laughs> speaking of alternative realities, and I think it is relevant, and I will keep this really short, but uh, today I, I ordered online a, uh, a birthday card for a friend, and Rizza, the Rizza, is going to record a video for my friend. And I, I, got, I got a group of people together to if do this. If this friend is all, me, then I think you've it's ruined not you. the most important surprise of my life. <laughs> it's not you. But the point was, we're, we're, chatting like, we're chatting as a group, and it was really that. It was this moment of going, what world do we live in? And I was yeah. like, I'm going to micromanage Rizza to make sure that, um, that the message is, is coming through properly. So I completely second 
your take on that was. It is a it is a strange time. We have got synergy. I'm feeling this. Now let's just throw to Benza oh, well, in, to in completely case, ruin I'm, I'm th- this synergy. I'm thrilled to, to be able to weigh in with with a, a pretty contrary opinion. I to, uh, to be fair straight up, I've never been a massive fan of the kind of new wave synth pop revival. Mm-hmm. I yep. I lived through it in the eighties and I was a big fan and, and you know, it it was it was of its time. Um, and and to be honest, when this record started, I, I had great hopes and it started straight into a kind of Steve Reich style um, piano vamp that was yeah, really yeah, yeah. interesting, that was really intuitive, that was it was musical and it was and it was interesting. But um, I mean, once that once that kind of electroish eight oh eight groove started, or even a you know CY groove started, yeah. CR. To the, yeah. Apologies to the purists. Um, <laughs> but once it kicked in, I just thought to myself, you know what? I, I'm left a bit cold. And, and I will readily admit I don't have a great deal of experience with cut copy. This was the first cut copy record that I've ever heard and certainly uh, the first of their yeah, whole be the whole albums yeah. that I've listened mm-hmm. to. And, it, well, uh, let's not jump to conclusions. They're, they're, no. Well, yeah, well yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I do appreciate the the dedication to the source material. You know, Simmons, Toms, and mm. you know, gated snares, and it, it's straight out of of you know 1986, 1987, and Stock Aitken and Waterman style vocals that are you know layered to within an inch of their lives. And I mean, and, and, and you know, like I said, I, I I appreciate the dedication to the source material, but I don't love the source material. <laughs> So it's going to leave me cold at the end of the day. It's like being really, really, really dedicated to a Leanne Rhymes cover. And I'm not going to love that, you know, as much as it sounds like Leanne Rhymes, because I don't like Leanne Rhymes. Yeah, you didn't like the music in the first place. That's it. I mean, but I did at the time. I loved Rick Astley. I loved Jason Donovan. I was nine at the time. Yeah, me too. So it was yep. it was of a different time for me. But I I I, I couldn't get behind it. I I, I made a, a real effort to dig into the song structure, to dig into you know what I could take out of of you know the the lyrical material to, of the harmonic material. But that it, it just wasn't any it was surface level it was i mean the the song structure the song material the harmonic material rang second always to the priorities i felt that were the sound of the production that were the sound of the drums that were the sound of the synths and i've got time for that but it's just not songs and so and that's what like, left me like very in, cold in, and, in, and in inviting in inviting listeners to kind of I guess check out the record. What what would be some of the things that you did like about the record? Was there any like in relation? Like was there production elements? Was there was there sounds and tones? Oh, without question, and I, and I I think I've highlighted a couple of those that you know the dedication to the tones of the source material that it draws upon is exceptional, and it it's it's fantastic, and they're they're the purity of the tones of 80s drum machines of uh, old synths and even song structures from back in the day is is mm. purely it's it's well it's pure it's they've achieved in that regard everything they set out to do but 
It just it, it, it left me cold. When I got to track three, which is Love Is All We Share. Well, I was going to say, I guess a big takeaway, obviously there's some amazing vintage sounds on the record and, you know, we have gone through their history as, uh, you know, the lead the lead guy being a, an established graphic designer. So perhaps the moral of the story is if you want to the, make, the design you on know, the really, great. if you want to make real major crossover stuff as a Melbourne resident, you better have a good job to buy awesome vintage gear. <laughs> no, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I, the, when I got to track three, which is a song by the name of Love Is All We Share, it gripped me a, a great deal more than than much more of, of what I heard on the record. And and I think for me that was probably because it drew upon the, the kind of Peter Gabriel edge of that 80s nostalgia. And I love Peter mm-hmm. Gabriel. I, mm-hmm. I, I have massive respect for him as a songwriter, as a, a, a producer, as a, a composer, all of these things. Um, and and for me, that that was the highlight of the album for me. And I, and I have great respect for that track. But by, by the end of the song, all I could hear was Who's Gonna Drive You Home by The Cars. And <laughs> it's 2020. It was a great song, but they already did it. And it, yeah, but we, we were just—it's cyclical. Music is cyclical, and so yeah, but the cars the aren't are coming cyclical. up now. No, they are. They are. They, it's like any other style of music. Like it'll be like grunge will be coming back soon. It's like you know the um, you know the uh, yeah, but you don't get wave. to record "Smells Like Teen Spirit" again. And I'm not I'm not equating who's going to drive you home to "Smells Like Teen Spirit," but like it's been done. Of course it's been done, but like people are going to want to do it again when they discover that sort of music. So like I think, you know, whether whether you like it or not d- doesn't stop it from happening because it, it oh, will no, happen. I'm not, I'm not suggesting happened. that that my my distaste for for the flavour of the record is going to is going to mm. prevent its evolution. But I, mm. what I what I wanted and what <laughs> I God. felt was missing was <laughs> was some <laughs> semblance of of authority stamped on that sound. It, it felt like it was playing catch-up footy to 1986. Yep. Uh, it was... It, it, there, look, there was no urgency in it. Like, it wasn't an urgent album. Like, it, like I really got the... There was, it was more of an indie album than a, an, an electro album. It was an indie electro album. And so when you say things like Stock Aitken and Waterman and things like that, I, I don't... I, I know what you're saying, but I get more of that sort of... It was earlier... It was earlier eighties, and I thought they did it actually. So you're feeling more like the Cure style vocal Absolutely. than you are, Jason Donovan and Rick Astley. <laughs> yeah. Look, and <laughs> I mean they're harsh terms to throw around, very, and I get that. Yeah, and it's not—I don't think it's that at all. And like, so look, I wouldn't say I'm super super schooled in that genre, but I reckon I'd know enough about it to know that they were going for more Euro. Euro synth pop sort of vibe, which was which was massive and probably still is massive, and we know it's actually still massive. So they're they're pitching to a market. Well, and you and you're right, and they're still headlining festivals all over the world, which doesn't really you know ex- it, it 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 doesn't excuse my take that this is something that's no. been gone because it clearly hasn't. Like it's clearly still here and still with us. So it might just well, Ryan be said that last I'm week. A, sorry, Ryan Ryan said last week that the eighties went for a decade, but you know there's people still writing eighty songs twenty three years later. So, 100%, you know, how 100%. long did the 80s go for? Oh, but at the same time, people are still writing prog rock late 60s tunes, you know, and probably will forever. And more more power to them. And it might just be that my aesthetic sits 
more in that camp, you know, and that I'd prefer to hear Tool write records that sound yeah. like, you know, uh, the Moody Blues or Genesis than I would mm. to hear Cut Copy sound like The Cars. Yeah, yeah. Well, Eric, do you have anything else to say? Like, I, I feel like we have dissected this album. and I We think have. If we're going to take an average, we're going to come out on top on this one. Um, <laughs> I we, think you may we... well, gentlemen. <laughs> I, I, I feel united. I feel like we've rebonded in this one, Eric. And I reckon I'm gonna, it's, it's, a, it's about time for me to throw it to you to introduce the rating system for this week. Thank you, Waza. So each week we like to thank our unofficial podcast sponsor. The unofficial spot podcast sponsor for those tuning in for the first time is a, a business or a concept that we like that has no prior notice to their involvement in the show and also <laughs> often receive correspondence via LR Legal um, in the weeks after the podcast. <laughs> so we are thrilled to to have our uh, legal resident-in-chief, uh, Ben Rinderman, here to ensure that we are dotting the I's and crossing the lowercase J's. So... There has been some talk on the uh, on the messaging group about who would be what would be this week's unofficial podcast sponsor. Um, I had whispers in both my ears. One was a a whisper from Ben actually that we basically uh, have this week's unofficial sponsor as a new podcast that me and Ben's are about to do, which is about which is about um, the upcoming U.S. election. Um, this podcast <laughs> is going to be coming out soon, and it is called uh, the Back Channel Super Pack. So, unfortunately, Benza, that is not this week's unofficial podcast sponsor. Oh, rubbish. Um, <laughs> Waza suggested that this week's unofficial podcast sponsor should actually be the official podcast sponsor, which would be LR Legal. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we, we're not doing that either. We're oh, doing this something. Is How am I counted out of all of this? <laughs> That's right. No, we know because you're here because because this is the unofficial sponsor, and we would be bringing you on as the official sponsor, and it would just be completely off message. So, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, this week's proud All Music Is Good podcast sponsor, unofficial podcast sponsor is. Budrum Central Housing Development. Oh, what? Budrum what? Budrum Central Housing Development. Oh, great. Luxury, affordable luxury on top, quote unquote, of Budrum. Located on, in on the, the heart hill. of the... Correct. Located in the heart of the Sunshine Coast, Budrum Central is an ultra-modern, architecturally designed new development ideally located on top of Budrum. Comprising of 32 boutique townhouses, all uh, exuding sleek contemporary luxury and offering effortless living within a short stroll to village amenities, including cafes, restaurants, uh, taverns, retail and commercial facilities, parks and local schools. Budrum Central Housing Development is just 10 minutes away to the stunning beaches and major shopping centre and entertainment hubs. There's exciting new attractions on the way with a brand new state-of-the-art water park coming soon and the full upgrade including a rebrand of the iconic Aussie World Precinct. 
The Sunshine Coast market is moving forward, gaining momentum and growing as we speak. Display homes are open daily. Thank you to this week's unofficial podcast sponsor, Budrum Central Housing Development. That's amazing. Without question, the weirdest fucking sponsorship I've ever heard in my life. They don't know anything about this, do they? Well, they will know once you send them the letter. (laughs) (laughs) Once I answer the cease and desist. (laughs) That's correct. So, Waza, in keeping with... In keeping with our scoring, what do you how how how, how do you see us um, scoring this week's records in relation to our unofficial sponsor, Bedroom Central Housing Development? Hmm. Well, my mother-in-law actually lives in Bedroom. I don't know if you knew that or not. Oh, there you and go. And I, I just want to make um a quick comment that there is actually only one tavern in Bedroom. So when they say taverns, that's really um. Misleading. That's really false advertising. Yeah, it's very misleading. You'd want to, so. you'd want to know the, the the width of the net they're casting, because they're, they're, like if it's taverns, you're yeah. in tens of kilometres. Yeah, look, I don't know if we want to be associated with 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 a company that's <laughs> putting out on. false advertising. Now you're verging on slander. <laughs> now look, look, if they had a said close to Thai Frenzy Restaurant in Budrum, then I would have I would have gone with that. Because that is sellable. That's sellable. It's anyway. also true. <laughs> it is. T- so it is so true, perhaps ben. Waza. Waz has in Waz has intense, deep knowledge of the Sunshine Coast. Deep knowledge. So maybe the maybe and I don't mean to I don't mean to poke in, gentlemen, but maybe maybe the scoring should be kilometers from a local tavern on the Sunshine <laughs> Coast. I'm liking this. <laughs> <laughs> what do we? Th- what do you think? Was you want to roll with that? I like that. I like that. Okay. It, is there ten taverns within 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 the housing development? Hundred percent. How many out of ten taverns within distance from the unofficial sponsor? So glad I was just a guest and didn't try to shake shit up when I got here. <laughs> so this week's scoring, just so I'm clear, is um, the kilometres distance from the closest tavern to Budrum Central Housing Development? No, the opposite. How many taverns are within X kilometres from a new housing development in Budrum? Like, if there were 10 taverns within this distance, okay, it would I be understand. the best possible housing development. Housing development. Yeah, I get Okay, I, I, I get it now. Thank you. So... Um, basically, this makes sense. This is not a mouthful. So what we're going to do is we're going to, I guess, uh, go around the room and give Cut Copy a rating in relation to the amount of taverns that could potentially be surrounding the Budrum Central Housing Development in relation (laughs) to their record. I think it's actually that there is 10. You go first. Okay. So for me... I I think again, uh, it's a great it's a great kind of cruise. Um, I'm I'm finding in in relation to my own music taste this year that I don't need necessarily to be completely blasted away. Last week we we um we 
we reviewed Run the Jewels, and um, I think you know we unanimously <laughs> were all like, "This record is just so brilliant." But you know what? That's about as much like heavy, brilliant like songs record of the year kind of situation that I can properly actually digest. And Good call. and often you know records are also there to just kind of fill in some of the sort of just more. Uh, I guess normal <laughs> types of emotions um, that are not necessarily excessive and this one does that for me and because of that and I think again because of the brilliant production and a complete like allegiance to a sound that these guys have been putting out way before anyone was doing it I'm going to give this a seven taverns close to a new housing development in Badrum. <laughs> what about you, Was? Oh, dude. If oh, I, I listened to what Ben had to say, and like I did take it into account, but I fully did disagree with him on this album. Um, and you know that's that's fine. This all music is good. Um, I'm going to give this this housing development that I'm talking about is going to be great because there's going to be at least eight taverns and then another half a tavern that's still being built eight and a like half taverns near near this housing development so yeah there's there's eight taverns and then another one half built eight and a half taverns out of ten i'm staggered was i'm i'm absolutely staggered i and you know all music is good and and i have great respect for for the producers and i have great respect for the songwriters and and yet uh, my taverns are much more disparate than you guys. I, I, I was great word. I was incredibly disappointed by this record. I really wanted to like it. I really did because I knew that I was not experienced with this band, and and it was a new opportunity for me, and it was a new record. And you know, here here we are. It's twenty twenty. Show me what you got. And mm. I couldn't pick any more than four taverns within the radius of of the new. Budrum housing estate and and I really tried, I really did and and uh, apologies to the cars classic who's going to drive you home, but but I, I couldn't find any more taverns. That's better than the one tavern that actually is in Budrum. <laughs> well, I think Budrum is the big winner. <laughs> Budrum is the big winner. I think we can all agree on that. So what do we get? Hundred percent. Let's round it up, Eric. What do we get? You've you've given it a seven out of ten. I've given it an eight and a half, and Ben's gone four out of ten. So that was Cut Copies' new album. So the next album we have tonight is Hudson Mohawk's BBHE. Do you want to know what that sounds for? It stands for BBHE. You want to know? I know my 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 uncle had a mechanic in the seventies and eighties called BBE. So maybe it's it's to do with his mechanics business. That's the with best BBE records. <laughs> That's definitely definitely what the album's called. <laughs> it's called. <laughs> Our uncle's mechanic BPE. <laughs> Without, yeah, drop the H. Ross Matthew Burchard is uh, born in 1986, better known by the stage the stage name Hudson Mohawk. He's a Scottish producer. 
DJ and composer from Glasgow. Fun fact, I think he won the DMC DJing championship when he was like a 15-year-old. True, I didn't he's, know that. Um, yeah, he's a founding member of the UK label collective Lucky Me. He signed to Warp Records um, and released his debut album Butter in 2009. In 2011, he formed the duo uh, Tonight, I'm guessing it is, with Canadian producer Lunis uh, and released their debut EP the following year. 2012, Burchard signed with Kanye West's good music production team and contributed to Kanye West's 2013 LP, Jesus, and subsequent projects on the label. He has produced for a range of artists, including West, Pusha T, Drake, Rocky. Uh, dude, like he, I had no idea he'd done so much. So my first encounter with Hudson Mohawk was way back in 2009 when I was doing a heap of DJing at what our former guest, Miss Niasha, would describe as five-star restaurants. And I would totally put his um, Polyfolk Dances EP in that five-star dining music category. It was uh, very glitch beats, futuristic production, throw the rule book out, throw some paint at a canvas kind of music. Um so I haven't really touched base with Hudson Mohawk much in the past decade, so I was pretty excited to hit this album up. Um, the first two tracks had me really excited, like that VHS kind of intro sample versus the big beat title track. Um, Brooklyn followed by, which was called Brooklyn, um, followed by the schizophrenic like glitch Mandarin. Is that Mandarania? Um, that's, that's how I read to, it. Yeah, to be honest, like this, I mean, this album took me a few listens to get into. Um, the first time I listened to it, I kind of got lost after track two. Um, but I'm really glad I persevered with this because I loved it. Like it turned into a real head nodder album for me. Track four, Animo, um, like <laughs> just before we came back for this, we mentioned Ghostface Killer, but I thought track four, Animo is a Ghostface Killer collaboration like waiting to happen. Um, track six, Tar, with its acoustic um, sort of guitar in it. For some reason, it reminded me of like the late 90s British electronic outfit Lemon Jelly. I don't know if anyone remembers them. Oh, um, I love Lemon Jelly. No one knows Lemon Jelly. Oh, my God, I love them. Uh, in terms of tracks, I would really just say press play at the start and listen to it. The first five tracks flow really seamlessly into each other then the album takes like a left turn from track six um um onwards with tara and then the 100 hm which is all trap hats left field modern commercial hip-hop mixed with like a dj shadow style organ grinder vibe um before tracking back into like more familiar territory from well park to the end of the album um i'm going to check the track titled herberts it's um straight out of the dilla madlib territory and it's just mm -hmm. a gorgeous slice of future electro soul and the end track monte fisto that's a track i reckon that would finish any superstar edm dj set as you dance on pingers as the sun's coming up wondering what well, you're just wondering where the after party is and can life get any better so i i really really dug this album once i was into it and i'm so glad i did listen to it a couple of times um i reckon i'm gonna throw it to benza to tell me how much he loved it i fucking loved it i'm so glad to hear that you did too i yeah i from uh, i need to I, I feel like i need to tell you guys the order in which i listened to the albums that that we're reviewing and and it it, it started with 
Kasha, we'll get to a, a little later. But then, mm-hmm. it, uh, then I came to Hudson Mohawk, and from the second this started, all I could think was fucking hell yes. This, this is yeah. this is confronting. It's groovy as fuck. It's got production qualities that are through the roof. Like he, he's not just studied his craft. He's a master. He is a, he's a master. master of his craft, yep. and he, he's at at a stage that every producer will always dream about, which is that which you can hear in your mind, you can create not just sonically, but viscerally. You can create a visceral response in your listeners. And it's not just the sonic response, but you can make them feel what you want them to feel. And that's exactly what he's done with his album. And and as you pointed out was that's that's exactly the transition from, from track one to track two. Um, yep. When you get to, to Mandarania, that track two, it draws on what, what I felt were, were kind of quasi-square pusher vibes, where you, yeah. you're getting to the, the most outlying cutting edge. But more musical, of, more musical. Oh, see, that, that second track, which is so glitchy as to be you know, wildly confronting for mine, that, it, that, that's where I, I drew that, that square pusher vibe from. But I also believe that square pusher is incredibly musical. Like, that, that man's one of the greatest bass players I've ever heard in my entire life. He's a virtuoso. Mm-hmm. But what I loved about this record was its capacity to, to surf the, the full gamut, to, 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 to cover the entire spectrum between that magnificent musicianship of, of that first tune, which is just so groovy. I mean, it calls on that that kind of glitch mentality and it's never going to make it easy for you. But that's what no. I loved as well, is that it has corners to it. it it's got edges. Mm. It's got things that you've got to push up against before it makes it yep. really easy for you. And I, I, I love that. And there are, I don't shy away from the fact that there were moments that got too much for me. And... and I, I love that in and of itself. I want to be challenged. I don't want. W- was there any tracks to in be comfortable Benza? all the time? Were there any tracks? Well, yeah, very much. Like, w- very much. That track, Liquid Heat, uh, kind of pushed beyond, pushed beyond my comfort zone, and and I don't mind that because I I want to sit through that and I want to I want to feel that, and and I'll contrast that later in the show with with my impressions of an, another of the albums that, that, that we're going to talk about. <laughs> and, and I, <laughs> I can hear Was laughing because I think he might know what I'm talking about. Uh, we, um, we'll be but, on the same page. I think we might be. But, I mean, there were, there were moments that, for me, were reminiscent of, of an artist called Girl Talk that you guys might remember mm, from mm, the mm, early to mid-2000s, mm, who was very much a, just yeah, a, yeah. A, a, like a, not just, but a sample mashup artist who created whole new things out of out of things that you knew before and that's not to say that there are elements in this Hudson Mohawk album that are drawing on samples that are familiar to all of us which was really what what girl talk was about but it was that same kind of of um collage mentality that I really connected with because you you're drawn into the source material and you're drawn into listening to these samples that are very obviously repitched and and recontextualized and EQ'd to within an inch of their lives. But I loved it. I, I, I was like you. I, I it, it, it took me probably one and a half listens before I could really connect with it. But when I did, I'm so glad I did because I, I so absolutely. So questions loved it. to and, you both. Would you? Um 
like like do you have a sort of a context by which you'd absorb this is this something that you'd listen to like whilst you're you know doing your work or or, or is it something you would um listen to that, that's when i first did hear it i was i was in the office and i was reading okay. documents and and working on papers and blah 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 and you were basically you were basically responding you were responding to all the cease and desist letters in relation to uh, the All Music is Good podcast. Most of them had come from a housing development in Budrum, oddly enough. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, 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 when, I, when I did my first kind of preliminary lessons to, to all the records that we're talking about, it was, it was in the office and I, yeah. I, 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 I had to stop working and I had to just sit the fuck up and listen to this because that's mm. how arresting it is and that's how much it gripped me and I loved it for that. It, it's rare... It's rare in this day and age that you're going to get a record that's going to make you go, shut the fuck up, listen to this, and just absorb it because it's not what you love, but it's different enough to absolutely grab you. And that's what I loved about it. That's a really, that's a really cool way of describing it. Uh, Benza, firstly, like this, this artist has come out fully formed. He's been like this since the start. It's, it's amazing. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that this is a growth to perfection. This is just, a, this is a moment in a career that is marked by perfection. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of a time to listen to it, Arik, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, it, it's like, for me, as like a lover of experimental electronic music, like this ticks so many boxes, um, like of, of all electronic genres, like this guy pushes like a, a, a place up against a place that few have ever gone to. And that's what I get excited about when I listen to this. But anyway, let's throw to you to give us your take on it. I, I, just before we do, I just, I, 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 I want to ask a question about the question, which is, which is the context of listening. And, and the issue that I have with the question is that <laughs> art like this needs a context. Do you know well, what I mean? Like, when you when when you say something like, "What context is it that you listen to this in? In what context do you appreciate art in any respect?" Look, agreed. I I I uh, I. But this is not a car record. It's not a dinner party record. It's a work of art. Well, that's where we're going to disagree because my review of this record is that this look from the outset I was like this, it, I got like it the way I summarised it was kind of like Dilla Bon and Bonobo mushed together for millennials um, I felt that Sorry, it was you, you know Bonobo 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 do you mean Bonobo Bonobo, bonobo. so it, fe- it felt what? to me like Dilla and Bonobo for millennials um, it, it was nice and cruisy and for me like I listened to it in one context, which was in my room on headphones, but where I felt that I would enjoy more listening to this record was cooking dinner and serving up cheese with Kint's paste for my bougie friends. Dude, um, it's five star d- music. Right. I'm not, you know, we, we don't have to be scandalized. I, I'm just I'm giving off- I'm offended under- on a few counts. One is, one is serving up dinner. The other is your mispronunciation of Quince. <laughs> Well, you know, you've got me on the back foot now, Benza. I'm like, I'm on the ropes <laughs> with my pronunciation. I know, and I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you go. I'm really sorry. So for me, the album uh, felt like the album that I would put on before the album I would put on before I go out. It, it felt like a warm up to me. Hmm. Um, it is a going out move. 
Do you know what I mean? So, hence yeah, the cheese platter. It's not the main course. Um, and the, <laughs> the quince paste is, is, uh, so I think you mean is certainly the main event of the cheese platter, the quince paste. Um, look, for me, um, again, look, I can, I can totally respect uh, both of your takes in relation to this sort of like DJ set meets producer type record. Um, standouts for me was um, Animo and Beyond. And I, and I also loved how it, it actually jumped from Animo into Beyond like it was a DJ set. There was no breath. Mm. It just smashed straight in and I really, really liked that. Um, I really liked the song Well Park. For me, it yep. felt like a sonic representation of Dexamphetamine, which was uh, also very Jesus. millennial. <laughs> Um, it built back to back to what one of the things you mentioned was a um, the song Herberts gave me a massive Dilla vibe, but then mm. it kind of it, it it then sort of made me ask the question, and I think this is something that we're 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 going around a little bit in this um, in this week's episode is is the concept of the throwback and whether like us as listeners want to go throwback and have these sort of reminders of other records that we like or if we want to hear something new um now i guess again thinking about the context in the moment that i listened to this i was like "Ugh, another dilla kind of reference really do we not have enough of this it's been happening for 20 years that fascinates me and again i'm really sorry to cut you off but that is absolutely fascinating to me in light of your eight taverns that you just handed out to cut copy (laughs) the fact that this sounds a bit like dilla is is astounding to me that that would be a negative point for this. Well, you know, I think you're being a bit. Pre- I think you're being a bit presumptuous until we get into um, the Budrum uh, Tavern <laughs> scorecard. Because the thing about this podcast is, we will say a whole lot of things, and then the scores themselves don't necessarily reflect anything of what we said. We so, do. We often say we bag out every album, then we give it an eight. <laughs> So to go, so to, so for me, I think, you know, going back into the concept of like, you know, throwback versus new, um, I, I, I wasn't sort of vibing on this kind of Dilla throwback, even though, again, it's stuff that I love. It had that strong NPC game and uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I think potentially as well, living in Melbourne, um, you know, I literally had to walk out my front door and turn right and I've, I'm absorbed by 25 bands doing Dilla throwbacks. So perhaps I'm, f- you know, potentially a little bit jaded around that as a concept. I'm, I'm, um, just, I'm not getting that much Dilla from this record. No, I'm not either. There's one track that was very Dilla, but yeah, the rest of it and was the definitely rest of it not is Dilla. pushing... Like pushing against edges, pushing, cutting edge electronica. That second track is legitimately psychotic, like beyond square pusher psychotic. That's not Dilla, that is legitimate noise. I was playing this album to my partner earlier tonight and had to turn it down when it got to track two because it was too intense. That's not Dilla. So speaking of pushing, there was the song. <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> so speaking of, um, there was a song called "Pushing the Levels," and I thought that was the first song that felt truly original for me on the record. It felt like mm-hmm. I'm I'm hearing something that I haven't heard before. 
Um, I also like the song Liquid Heat. I thought that was really cool, and it, it felt to me like it was channeling like the avalanches almost, which was, again, you know, talk in relation to kind of referential things. I'm down with like a, a throwback to the avalanches. I don't feel that's been su- super overdone. And then lastly, um, was uh, in relation to the final track of the record, yes, Aaron. Monte Fisto, for me, was a not as strong as I'd like to, to, to see a record finish, and my comments were <laughs> not a strong track 14 frowny face so oh, that wow. is that is that's my take on the record why don't we go around the board and uh and give it the score for the distance from sorry the amount of taverns close to the budroom property development yeah the, the tavern the budroom tavern rating scale the budroom tavern rating scale um, okay, I'll go first, but I just want to say, Eric, what, what did you just say? What was the, what was the last thing you said? Because I've thought, oh, you're the last track. For the last three weeks, you have not gone anywhere near the last track. And I've had to bring it up every week, like, <laughs> this is your thing, Eric. I'm, I'm going to talk about it. And then this week, all of a sudden, you've just picked an album. You don't like, I didn't like the last track. Crap. <laughs> anyway. That sounds like there's a lot of that points being to said, make here. That being said, I'm going to disregard all of that and I am going to give this... Uh, look, I, I, I found some of his other stuff. Every week, Ari goes, yeah, but I really like the old stuff better than the new stuff and like, I feel like I'm an idiot because I never listened to any of the old stuff that he's listened to. Mm. But in this case, I've actually listened to a fair bit of older Hudson Mohawk and I really like this album. I think I will give it a higher score. Um, if I'd given it a couple more listens. But at the moment, I'm going to give it a seven tavern and then another half a tavern that's still being built by local Budroom contractors um, <laughs> on the Budroom Tavern rating scale. What about you, Benzo? Uh, I, I, I'm coming out hard. I, I, when I love stuff, I, re- I really fucking love it. And uh, I, I thought long and hard about you know, how many taverns were around, you know, the, this new budget housing development for this particular record. And, and I thought about there being eight and then I've pushed it. And there's eight and a half. There's eight and a half taverns. And yeah, that's and good. I, you've, you've called back the subbies. You've oh, called yeah, back no, the no, subbies no, no. and we, you're no, like, we got, a, guys. we got a permit denied. <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, right, it's lucky, okay. lucky they know a lawyer. <laughs> um, no, I, yeah, I... I thought long and hard about it, and and I loved this. I I loved that there were moments of it that I didn't like, and I didn't like it for the very reason that I liked the other parts. I liked it, and that and yes. that's what that's what pushed me to give it eight and a half because it challenged me, and and that's what I want these days. I don't I don't want things to be easy and flowing and yeah, easy. effortless yeah. and without any. I I, I want to be involved in it. I want to be involved in my appreciation and my absorption of the record. And that's why I even liked the bits that were too hard to listen to. So, it, yeah, it's, it's eight and yeah, a half. You want to drive... Again, what? Yeah, you want to drive a bit further to a tavern. You might want to go 9K away to a that's tavern. It. You want it to be hard. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and to get you to know this what? Tavern. Yeah, you want, to, you want to run the gauntlet on the way home and make sure that you're <laughs> avoiding booze buses. That's the kind of record you want. You want the... The back streets. I can't make kind any. Of I can't take, make any. Quick, can't make quick, any ta- comment on that at all. I don't know what you're talking. Quick, about. but this is quick, this is a quickly solid. Quickly turn left. 
It's a solid eight and a half taverns for mine. Uh, I really liked it a lot. <laughs> Great. Arik, what did you think? Look, for me... Um, if this is sub five, I'm going to hate you. <laughs> he goes there every week. He goes There's deep, no way five. this is below four. <laughs> he gave Taylor Swift a two. I haven't heard it. I I'm really just gonna need to. I'm just going to... I'm just going to let the silence... You know... A few weeks ago, we were talking about the Beyonce record, and um, and Ryan, uh, it was actually t- and, and Ryan um, Ryan mentioned that um, that uh, a front of house guy named by the name of Locke Wooden said <laughs> the most amazing thing about the Beyonce record is it's like the most perfect silence before Beyonce's um, <laughs> voice just shows up in the mix. So, before in relation to all to of this. Kind of trash talk before I give my score. I might see if I can honor that perfect silence moment before I deliver. All right, I'm ready. The Beyonce, the Beyonce vocal. <laughs> so for me, I think <laughs> that um, I'm going to give this uh, a solid four taverns. Oh, um, yeah, okay. yeah, look, you know, music. all music is good. <laughs> It's not often that you get a guest that's going to legitimately abuse the hosts, but I'm prepared to dig in. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to throw the full weight of the law behind this argument. Ben's just throwing the book. Ben's just throwing the book. So look, for me, four out of ten. I've filed an injunction. Objection. I didn't feel that... I didn't feel that this um, this this record didn't change the game for me, nor did it give me an emotional reaction. I thought there were cool moments; it sounded cool. I felt cool when I listened to it. But uh, four out four taverns out of a potential ten taverns surrounding the uh, locale of the Budrum housing development for me. Okay, so that's a four taverns out of ten from Arik. It's a seven and a half, probably going to end up being an eight and a half for me out of ten and an eight and a half. We're going hard to get to these taverns because there's not many craft beers around and we will go hard. There's not much craft beer on the Sunshine Coast, Eric. So we're going to go out of our way to find it and we're giving, we've given it both eight and a half. I've jacked it up too. All right. That was uh, Hudson Mohawk's BBHB. <laughs> Wait for you to pull up, where you are, baby, just like pull up, some money to keep loaded your cash. Alright, give us the rundown. Okay, so Cash Page, uh, I guess uh, Cash Page is a stage name for the artist by the name of Dekyla Page Woolen, uh, known professionally as Cash Page, and it is a, wait for it, it's a backronym for Kill All Arrogance, Stop Hatred. I've never okay. heard the name. I've never heard the word backronym, but let's continue. Um, Cash Page is an American singer-songwriter from Dallas, Texas. She's signed to Cella V Productions and Def Jam Recordings and managed by Rock Nation. She released her debut extended play, Parked Car Convos, on November 15, 2019. Um, Decalia Page was born Jan 8, 2001 in Dallas, Texas. She started writing and recording in high school, uploading tracks to SoundCloud, where she quickly gained a local following. 
By early 2019, Page had attracted attention from several record labels and eventually landed a deal with Celebi Productions and Def Jam Records. His single Love Songs went viral on various social media platforms and spent six weeks at the top of Spotify's global viral chart, reaching Billboard and Hot R&B Songs charts. On November 15, 2019, she released her debut EP, Parked Car Combos. The remix of Love, the remix of Love Songs was released in January 2020, featuring uh, six lack or slack? I don't, I don't know. It's got a six and a lack in it. I'm not sure. <laughs> in March 2020, she appeared on the track Euphoria with Dan. I don't. I don't Fever think we're made. And Travis this. Scott. Her debut album, Teenage Fever, was released on August 14, 2020. So I'm going to get right down to business. And Benza, you you, did, uh, you you absolutely hit it on the head with your comment just uh, just a moment ago. I think this is an album that should not be reviewed by three men over the age of 35. You're so right. You're so right. <laughs> so also, good. who's 35? Yeah. <laughs> I think this... Um, this was uh, this was definitely something that's uh, not of the generation that we inhabit. I think it's very much mm. a new generation record. So yeah. I, I'm going to be, I guess, uh, a bit more, a bit merciful in my review because I think I need to really also mm. acknowledge that perhaps I'm completely not the audience for this record. So for me, it tapped the internet um, with a bit of a twist of the weekend. Um, it felt to me like the ultimate 2019 record made in 2020. It, um, it fe- like I guess it felt it feels too early to even talk about what a 2020 sound is, and this record to me was like textbook quintessentially 2019. Um, uh, the song that stood out to me was a song called "Breakup Song." Um, I thought you know, in the realm of like kind of auto tune vocal, which is not my jam, this just yeah. felt like a ripping kind of execution of that auto-tune vocal generous. um that's generous. probably about as much that i could that's a probably about as much as i can say yeah. about this record um i'm yeah. really sort of yeah it, it was quite a revealing listen for me to really i guess interrogate my own seat at the table around talking about music um and and not necessarily being in step and in, in sync with what the kids are fully vibing on because she's obviously a massive star and she's got massive backing with some of the biggest you know heavies in the business is it though like is is it uh, and and i i come i come to this from a a position of quasi ignorance is this a hit record like is this something that is going on you know I well, I would know. say so. I mean, Def Jam Records, Rock Nation. No, but I mean, is it yeah. selling? Def Jam Records like, is that and a Rock thing Nation that, that are like even counts. Like, do things sell? That's not. That's not our job. That is not <laughs> our job to discuss sales numbers. We just discuss the music, Benza. <laughs> but I mean, that I, I, I suppose that informs both Rx and shortly mine, and I, was I don't doubt yours uh, interpretations of of what this record is. Like it, uh, uh, Eric, is it, it is it a hit? Do you know what I call it? I call this album a TikTok album. That's a really, really good way of describing it. I also think that makes you really fucking old. <laughs> well, not necessarily. <laughs> well, yeah, that's actually true. Um, yeah, I think look, I, I, let's let's explore that more. Was what do you mean by a TikTok album? 
they're all like two minute songs that are just repetitive hooks that kids can just dance to that's but, what I hear and I watch my kids on TikTok and this is what well, I hang hear hang on to be fair just, that Hudson Mohawk album is 29 minutes long mm. yeah but that's not that that's not that they're they're pushing boundaries they're, no, they're I appreciate pushing that, but if we're harmonic talk about structures the they're pushing the all this album, then I mean look let's go to to dark side at 48 and you know like let me break I'll break it down further yeah. for you. These are two bar to four bar loops that just are repeated. Oh, ad don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not remotely going to disagree with you about the the artistry that that is invested in this record. And and I actually, <laughs> I, 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 I'll hold back. I'll hold back till it's my turn. I'm sorry. Hold back. Sorry. Hold back. All right. <laughs> what else do you have to say about it? Anything? Oh, you know, I think the idea of the the TikTok album is is a really good sort of way to describe it and i think again it's one of those sort of phenomenon that uh we may not necessarily entirely resonate with it's it, it this is this is pop music this is uh you know stuff that the kids love um and that has you know a major push behind it so i guess the challenge for you know people say from our age group or our taste is to is to kind of at least go well what is it like what's the thing what's the thing that is making this a you know a, a, a big deal why is it the one of the highest you know why is she one of the highest artists on the spotify global viral chart these these, these are serious things people are people yeah. are actually responding to it so yeah things have changed um, yeah it's it's interesting yeah um but yeah look i mean was there anything that poked out for you was Oh yeah, I'm happy to have a chat about it. Um, uh, so like, we, I think we were we were both running short on albums for review this week, <laughs> and you and I, yeah, I, t- I don't mean it like that. That came, that came out completely Dear the wrong way. Page, we're I, really I, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We didn't mean it that you were just a ring in. <laughs> Let me explain. Let me explain. I um, Eric and I. Um, had both thrown a couple of albums at each other via text and I'd clock this album on Spotify. It was an R&B album out in Def Jam, as Eric said. I had a quick flick through it and I thought, yeah, okay, I'd be interested in listening to this. Tick, 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 ticks all the boxes. Um, and then I listened to it properly and, oh, man, yeah, I didn't really like it. Um, it, it goes straight into that bucket for me that's labelled sort of millennial commercial R&B hip-hop album and... Um, which we all know is your favourite genre. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've been down this path before, Eric. But more than any other album we've listened to, and I, and I don't want to use this term, but this is what it is to me. It's like it's all hook, no substance. That's that's my vibe on it. Yeah. All music is good. All music is good. But like this is like three note auto tuned, like vocal nursery rhyme hooks and trap beat production. Uh, it dumbs the music down to me. Um, like Grammy week was like a a song that was an example you know it's a two-note progression with vocal hooks for two minutes one vocal hook for two minutes no real structure and that's the track and that's big on tiktok like that's a thing like it it is a full and and you talked about it like what is it that that is resonating with a generation of kids that think this is great like I, i don't know i guess it's the same with us when we liked certain types of music that our parents didn't like but well maybe i mean just to kind of just to sort of, I don't know, roll with that as a question, and maybe we'll come back to this in, in future episodes because I don't think this is going to be the last 
of this type of album that we're going to review. Yeah, um, I'm not connecting with his style. But but perhaps you know, like uh, young people, you know, who were born, you know, in the post September 11 world, in a in a in an era where it has literally been war since 2001. They do not know a life without this kind of cloud of whatever war that we're currently in. Perhaps this kind of incredibly um, naff and repetitive style of music is like almost like a wonderful numbing. It might be like a potential numbing, a numbing agent of sorts to make sense of the world. I think about uh, some young people that, that I know. And Are you, are you um, suggesting that Kash is the Novocaine of a generation? No, I'm suggesting that, that this is this is this is this is not just a cash thing. This is something that we're sort of no, it's picking a up genre. across a particular genre and a kind of particular moment in pop music. Well, but then I think that the then I think that the, the the conclusion that you're making is a little larger than you think. That literally pop music is numbing human beings to the reality of the world around them. Potentially, that's, I mean, that's a you know lot. that's what I'm hypothesising. Is it has it not always? It is a and, lot. And it, what I'm about to open is possibly a massive can of worms. But has it not always been the role of of pop music and of music generally to awaken human beings and yeah. and cause them to reflect on the world around them, as opposed to numb them to the garbage that surrounds them. I, I mm. think I think that's a completely valid question. Um, perhaps that is that is where we're at. You know, we're we're living in this kind of world of hyper reality. We're living in a time of, of of great uncertainty, and perhaps the response from young people is rather to necessarily interrogate um, these ideas and challenge them. They're just going, putting the headphones on and just going. I yeah. just I just want to do this for a bit because I'm so deeply inundated with so much information and so much change that maybe this is the balm. Who knows? What do you think, Benza? Uh, 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 well, let me finish first, Eric. Can you let me finish? I'm finished. <laughs> oh, yeah. You go. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not even nearly ready to start. I want to know what was thing. I, I think that, that is actually a good point, but I would sort of say there's a percentage of that and I would also say there's a percentage of dollars um, that go with, you know, um, you know, this is also music, not just for TikTok, but for video games as well. Like it sort of sits in the background. It's sort of, yeah, you're right. It is mind numbing, but it's also dollar driven industry. And this album is resonating, this type of album. Um, like maybe there's a challenge for you in the coming weeks, Eric, to actually find me an album in this style that I, I actually <laughs> might like. Because I, I would, I I would set you that challenge because I would like to like one of these albums. Um, that might be a new segment. You know, but you know, yeah. you know what's funny is that <laughs> as, it was as soon as like. I heard that, all I, all I could think was, you're probably going to go back to at least the early 2010s. And no, it's, it's all about it, this is a, a genre that's that is. It's about two years old, trap isn't it? Music. Yeah, it's not very old. It's it's. It's weird. Anyway, um, I, what I discovered with that J Haas album that we listened to, and I hate to keep bringing it up. Hey, I really loved that J Haas album. I didn't know you guys reviewed that. I loved that record too. Was I hated it? I fucking loved that record. Shut up. No, dude, I'm not kidding. I fucking loved that record. I'm honestly not backing up my friend because he's my friend. I fucking loved that. I, yeah. I've, I, lo- I loved the J Haas record before We that. don't want to go down this. Let's just not. 
Let's just stop going. Anyway, I wasn't going to diss it out. (laughs) What I was going to say was that the further I dug into the Jay Huss album, I found songs that I liked, which made me sort of, we had a whole discussion about A&R guys and how they program track listing. Um, And do they, you know, just putting the, 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 the hip, hip tracks in that first three rather than program an album. Um, And when I flipped this album on its head and started listening to it backwards, um, it was exactly the same as it was listening to it from start to finish as it was from backwards to start. That's an incredible commitment to have listened to a record from end (laughs) to front. To, just to make sure that it was shit both ways. It's the old. <laughs> this is the work we do on the All Music Is Good podcast. Well, was it basically did the Kevin amazing. Sheedy, the Kevin Sheedy move? Holy shit! Oh no, that was the I'm, Kevin I'm Sheedy gonna, move. I'm, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning I and I'm going to listen Eric. to Piano Man back to front. He's gone. So he he's moved, gone full he back Billy to Duckworth full forward. To Billy Duckworth. Forward. No, Billy Duckworth straight to centre centre half forward. Holy crap! I love it. It's, Tony yeah, Lockett's playing yeah, it fullback. 995. This is it. We're done here, people. Black it. is white. White is black. <laughs> anyway, so it didn't work either way. Um, <laughs> the song that I did like was the the one in that weird time signature. Was it 3-5? I don't do time signatures. I think it was called Pull Up, um, but it was not 4-4. Four, four. It, was, it was sort of a little bit interesting. Um, and I liked Friends as well, but, you know, that just that repetitive minor pentatonic Three yes. note vocal melody just killed me. I didn't but like hang it. Hang on, because you might get something, and then it might go back down here. <laughs> I sung in another episode when I tried to do the J Hus vocal melody. It's exactly the same. So just, just if anyone wants to know what it is, just go back to episode three where I where I sung a J Hus vocal you, melody. It's effectively the same. Post. Anyway. <laughs> We'll do that. All right, I'm going to throw it over to you, Ben. Oh, dude, I loose. hated it. I fucking hated this record. I, 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 <laughs> Tell us what you really fuck. think, dude. Yeah, I, yeah. There, there, there's not a lot I can say in in support of this record. There, I mean, there were. It was reminiscent for me of a of a, a a record by Willow Smith from a few years ago that, at the time was for me a, a relatively cutting edge record because I think that it was around about the the early stages of this kind of style where the production is plodding uh, it, it, the songs never really go very far so they they're just a, a a verse structure and a chorus structure that's not much different and then they go back you might get eight bars of a middle eight that's of somewhat yeah you know, more interest. But there's nothing in it. There's, there's, there's nothing interesting lyrically. There's nothing interesting melodically. There's nothing interesting harmonically. And I'm old. I don't, I don't shy away from that. And there will be millions of people that will, that will protest this album's brilliance. But I thought it was a... a, a, a I'm, yeah. I, we're, we're all so on the same I, I guess in the, in the spirit of... In the spirit of uh, all music is good, this is leading to a ten out of ten, isn't it, Benza? Dude, <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't put a tavern further from Budrum. You could yeah, you couldn't put it far right. enough away. Like honestly, I know that there's a tavern that is in Budrum that's got fucking foundations there, and I can't demolish yeah. that. And that's going to be the only tavern that rates a mention. Yeah. It, it, uh, Benz has gone and got lost in the hinterland. Oh, dude, I, I yeah. really tried. Ben, yeah. Like I listened to this album three times, 
and and I had I had yeah. a I had a really good crack at it. And it's not that I'm old, and it's not that I don't get it. And I and and was I completely take your point, and and uh, you too that that this might be music of a TikTok generation whose attention span lasts to fifteen seconds. But fuck yeah. if that's where we are. Then we're fucked. Oh, it's a worry. We're, we're f- yeah. I'm not prepared to accept musical quality or musical integrity on the basis of 15 seconds of what's good about it. So for me, and I'm really sorry to the Budrum Tavern, and I know I've jumped the gun, but zero. This gets fucking zero yep. taverns. None. I hated the auto tune. I hated the phrasing. I hated the lyrical content. I was appalled by the laziness of the production. It goes nowhere. Yeah. It spoke nothing to me, and I have nothing positive to say about it. I'm really sorry that I came to this show with soft opinions. <laughs> We're really sorry that we picked this up because <laughs> all music is good. It is. It's all. It's um, all good except maybe fucking this album. <laughs> look, we can go deeper into talking about how hip hop. We're not going to, but hip hop has ruled the charts or the top forty commercial charts for the last decade or so, or maybe even longer than a decade. And that's never happened in popular music before. Like we've always had genres that have come and gone. And hip hop. This is. This is, seems like it's the finely honed. This is where hip hop's gone to. It's a beat and it's a vocal. Well, and that's I've it. got, and it's I've like got all more. the time in the world for hip hop. It, it, it's a it's a passion of mine. I I, I ran an Australian hip hop label for for years, and and I, I I can't I can't suggest that I grew up with it, nor that I'm you know culturally intrinsically joined to it. But I I choose to believe that I have an a, an affiliation for it and an understanding for it. Yep. But I I see nothing of that. In the artistry in this, no, album. it's not hip hop. It's it's R and B. It's it's commercial R and B. It's not even R and B. R and B in in my understanding of its history has some semblance yeah. of humanity and some semblance of a, a, a communication of the human condition. Yeah. There's nothing of that in. What's this called for me? Beaten vocals, beat or beaten auto tuned vocals. B A B A T V. That's not enough. It's Bats. not enough for mine. Okay, well, it seems like we're into the reviews. All right, how many, how many, um, how many taverns are located within the Budrum Housing Estate on top of Budrum Hill? Look, I reckon for me, um, objectively, I would. I'm going to score this really low. It's uh, it's about. I would probably say in a similar vein. I'm. I I struggle to locate any taverns uh anywhere near the budrum housing estate so mm. but there's always one there's always got to be one in the same way there's always a well, there post office in, in, in every town there's always <laughs> yeah. a tavern in every town and uh and i'm going to give this uh one tavern in uh in the vicinity of budrum what about you was oh look i feel like i have had a meal at the budrum tavern i've had a drink at the budrum tavern <laughs> I love an album review that starts with "I've had a meal at the Baldrum Tavern," <laughs> and that meal was good, Benza. That was a good meal. And so, if we're going to rate it on the fact that the Budrum Tavern is actually quite good, then I'm quite happy to give it a 
one tavern out of ten. I just, you know, I actually I'm going to give it a one also for that song with the weird time signature that actually showed some sort of something showed something. I don't know what it was, but it was something. So we have a one, a one, and a one. <laughs> what? No, he's just. Zero. I'm just so happy. Honestly, I honestly I listened to the record and I thought, shit. I might be I might be here on this on on my own. <laughs> These guys might love this. <laughs> no, we we certainly didn't love it. Um, okay, so that was Cash Page's new album, and it was called Eric Help Me Out. Uh, it was called Teenage Fever. So the final Nas. album we have to we go in. Nas is we go in. Album King's Disease. Um, that's a Bin Ula Dara Jones, better known by his stage name Nas, is an American rapper, songwriter, entrepreneur, and investor. Son of jazz musician Ola Dara, Nas has released 12 studio albums since 1994, with seven of them certified platinum and multi-platinum in the US alone. His musical career began in 1991 as a featured artist on Main Sources Live at the Barbecue. His debut album, Illmatic, received universal acclaim from both critics and hip-hop community and is frequently ranked as one of the greatest hip-hop albums of all time. I reckon you know it's my favourite hip-hop album of all time. I do. Freaking love it. Love, 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 love it. Well, you do now, dude. I told you. Respect. Um, another follow-up. It was written to boot atop the Billboard 200, stayed there for four consecutive weeks, and made Nas internationally known. From 2001 to 2005, Nas was involved in a highly publicized feud with Jay-Z, popularized by the diss track Ether. Man... Nas is better than Jay-Z, I always thought, I'm just saying it. Um, Nas signed to Def Jam Recordings in 2006. In 2010, he released Distant Relatives, a collaboration album with Damien Marley. Monster! I'm sorry, I'm really really sorry. That record is an absolute masterpiece. I love it. He donated all royalties from that album to charities active in Africa. His 11th studio album, Life is Good, was nominated for Best Rap on the 55th Annual Grammy Awards in 2012. Um, In 2006... MTV ranked Nas fifth on their list of the greatest MCs of all time, 2012, blah, blah, blah. Everyone knows he's awesome. Um, I'm going to get into it. Like, it's fair to compare... Oh, I mean, actually, I'm going to start again. Is it fair for me to compare the output of what an artist does as a 19-year-old to everything they do for the rest of their life? So that's the question I'm going to pose to start the review. Hard no. Okay, good. So would you and no, well, let me let me put it to you another way. Would you compare a 19-year-old Miles Davis to a 65-year-old Miles Davis? Possibly. Possibly. Oh, garbage. Absolute garbage. And Matt, you're talking you're talking about an artist who has probably at 19 control of his instrument and at 65 mastery not only of his instrument but of his craft. Yeah, that may be so, but it's all about product as well. So let, oh. let me put it into context, Benza. Um, okay. I was I was so utterly obsessed with Illmatic, um, you know, uniting the 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 kings of New York and East Coast and the the five boroughs and bringing them together on that album and just releasing the most amazing set of songs. You know, the the J Rock and the DJ Premier and the um, 
uh, Q-Tip. Uh, you know, just, just, it was just, it was amazing. That album was amazing. So in my mind, this man is a living legend, and I worshipped everything about the 19-year-old Nas. And so having to review this album has really forced me to come to terms with how unfair and ridiculous that really is, actually, because I, I really haven't listened to a lot of his stuff. Um, and I've sort of compared it all against that album, and, and that's really unfair. I don't know if ever any of you have seen the uh, Spike Jones Radiohead um, "Meeting People Is Easy" yeah. uh, doco. Yeah, I loved it. it. It's so, so awesome. But if you remember, um, Tom York spends the whole film being depressed as they tour OK Computer because everyone's telling him that it's the greatest album of the last decade, how awesome it, how awesome it is. And instead of being happy, he's just obsessing about how, how can he ever move on from that? You know, to where, where can he though, go? That, to be fair, though, that's Tom York, who is <laughs> obsessively depressive. Yes. And, and it's almost, he's almost definitively depressive and I, 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 I don't get me wrong Radiohead are my favorite band and have always been for the history of, of radio amazing but, band but the, the, I, I think I think it's apples and oranges so what you're saying Benza is that um, Tom York is more or less the Bindi Irwin of um, of of indie music which I think is quite fitting given that we've we're scoring with Budrum scale so is that what you're suggesting are you making an aussie zoo reference are you trying to get this in the instagram like um quick snap that, that was that was that what that was for is it this this is this is for cheap follows isn't it Ark? this is <laughs> this is for cheap follows um i'm not gonna di- i'm not gonna dignify that with a response let me benza what i think the point i'm making is that um when you're starting out and you're writing albums and people are just going, dude, this is the best album ever. Like you, you, as an artist, you need to stay hungry and you, you want to like have something to sort of aim for. And so like when, when you're at the top and you're looking down and you just go, well, I can't, I've already climbed it. Where do I, where do I go? So that's, that's the context I'm putting. I, it in. And, and I, and I completely get that. And, and, and what you, what you're drawing on is a, a unique phenomena that goes from the bends to, you know, uh, okay computer to kid a to every literally everything that follows and and i yeah you've got me at, at radiohead but but I, I think it's difficult to i think it's difficult to to cast judgment or cast a pull on that which comes beyond a, a phenomenal debut that band is an outlier, the Radiohead. I don't think we can even talk about them in that sense because no no one does what they do or have done before or since. Maybe the Beatles, you know, you can put them in that sort of thing. You know, they've just stepped upon greatness on each you, album. I, I think you're right. I, and I, I love you even more for agreeing with me. <laughs> no, I mean, no, they're ridiculous. They're they're an absurd example. And you're right, they're, they're, they're absurd. So, so albums that start off so great, you know, most of the people, um, most artists, the only way is down, not up. So, like, for me, I sort of got stuck in that sort of 2000, oh, sorry, 1993 Illmatic vibe. Anyway, so I listened to the album. Um, the fir- On my first listen, uh, I didn't like it. Um, but I stuck at it. So this week... Um, has been a NAS reprogramming week for me. Um, 
I felt like I've kind of been to that place that like uh, Derek Zoolander went to be brainwashed to kill <laughs> the Malaysian Prime Minister. So it was like a super, it was a super effective brainwashing. Anyway, <laughs> oh I'm out on the God. other side. We killed the Micronesian Prime Minister. <laughs> so, Mugatu. Anyway. Mugatu. <laughs> Mugatu's taken me and he's, he's, he's reprogramming. Unreal. Anyway, I'm out the other side. I'm happy to say I can listen to this album for what it is. And what that is, is a super talented middle-aged rapper laying down some smooth, you know, late night R&B hip hop vibes. Smooth is so and when right. I, when I say R&B vibes, I, like I didn't actually really put my finger on that R&B bent until the Anderson Pack track kicked in. And then all of a sudden the whole album made a heap more sense 100%. to me and I could get my head around it. Yeah. Um, I really love the track Ultra Black. Same. Which was uh, a rap on celebrating black culture. Yeah, um, the definition felt more Anderson Pack than the Anderson Pack track, which was <laughs> quite funny. I really liked that. Um, Ten points was great, and his lyrics um, on that were like basically a rap about rallying behind successful black celebrities who are unfairly scrutinised in the media. Um, t- uh, Twenty-seven summers and till the war just confirmed to me how much I really don't like trap hat drum sounds. Um, <laughs> and, th- and 32 note hi-hats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, 164. <laughs> um, uh, so, like, after I wrote... like, So, I, I actually really did like this album a lot. Um, after I have written these notes i felt like i needed to go i didn't know like i feel my like my feelings are all skewed so i went and had a read of a couple of reviews and pretty much to a t like all of them were saying this is a return to form for nas and i was really glad to hear that because i i thought it was a really strong album so i might throw it over to benza and say benza um can you own your own body parts (laughs) is that is that something le- legally? So I'm going to refer you to um, Yearworth, Yearworth versus North Bristol, which was a case for the NHS Trust, and it's sort of saying that you can't really own your own body. We we can't do that. Can you? Can I comment on that? Yeah. Can you can you give us some legal expertise in this? Like you can't sell your own organs, can you? Like because you don't own them. I, no, too much. Firstly, I want to. I want to th- <laughs> <laughs> first and foremost, I, I want to thank you for, for your acknowledgement of my expertise in in uh, the clear and emerging field of, of uh, organ ownership. <laughs> and, and well, if that's if that's not if that's not enough for you, maybe I could give you another one. Like like. Is a stormtrooper helmet a work of art, or is it actually? Can you own copyright on on the stormtrooper helmet? Because actually, copyrights on art only go for ten to fifteen years. I've I've recently discovered in the case of Lucasfilm versus Ainsworth, um, nineteen ninety three. <laughs> this is no. This is the best podcast I've ever been on. <laughs> um, I, uh, uh. so many. <laughs> All right. So many cases. Where, 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 where do you want me to start? This is... Oh, you just pick. You pick okay, or you right. just move well, let, on to review go, review NAS. Let's go Stormtroopers and... Uh, <laughs> you know what? Fuck it. Let's talk about NAS. 
It, Do that. I, I think that's better. Yeah. We'll come back to this. You take what you need to say is what well, I'll take that on advisement, and I'll get back to you in a future episode. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, I'm going to take it on advisement, and and you know what? I, I I prepared notes to to talk about this Nas album, and and I think I found myself in in a it was in a similar position to you. I, I've been a fan of of Nas for a long time, and. I found this album to be so refreshing and to be so renewing and it's so full of new energy and and mm. uh, above and beyond that and obviously expert rapping. Like, it, he is a monster MC. It goes monster. without saying. Yeah. It, 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 mm, you mm. came to this album knowing that's exactly what was going to happen and that's exactly what was delivered. From the second... This track, hope the the first track, hope, and he's he's absolutely laid waste to critics, and he's an exceptional rapper and and a master of his craft without question. Um, and you, undeniably, you made mention before of of uh, the track with uh, the track, <laughs> the, the the track with um, uh, Anderson Park. Yes, Anderson Park. Uh, and what what's even more uh, significant to me is that the uh, is that uh, Mono Neon is playing bass on that track as well. Who is the bass player from? Yeah, right. uh, there's a track on this record, um, co-produced and and co-starring. One could only assume. Anderson Park with a bass player by the name of Mono Neon, who comes from a band, uh, <laughs> a band by the name of Ghost Note. It, it takes obviously a lot to bring to mind. They, these are the most cutting edge uh, jazz, funk musicians yeah, in, fusion. in 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 America, and that they are. Weighing in heavily on on a record that is obviously important to not just the hip hop community, but also to the jazz and the funk community of players, and also it, this record speaks loudly to to the Black Lives Matter movement, to a feminism movement. This is this is not a record that shies away from the political movement of its time. And what I loved about this, as much as Nas's rapping capability, which is beyond question exceptional and has been, as as was pointed out, for, for 29 years, this is an album that is current, that is musically on fucking point, but also lyrically exceptional and and empowering and i mean uh, he's not trying to play with the younger generation either he he's a he's an established rapper and he's he's singing of his age and as an elder statesman 100 percent. and and i'm not going to suggest that there aren't moments that are you know of of the hip-hop movement that are you know culturally from an external perspective I, I, I can't say problematic because 
they're not my problems to have. And this opens a massive, mm, no. massive discussion as to, you know, what is lyrically appropriate, what is culturally appropriate, and they are not my decisions to answer. What, mm. what I can report upon is the artistry of the record and the artistry of his delivery and the artistry of uh, the incredible production that underpins it. And, and for mine, this is, this is an unbelievable album. Unbelievable. Well, this is an album review podcast and we did get you on tonight to do just that, to talk about the actual album. So the fact that you've done so was really good. Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear from Blue. Okay, that was beautiful. <laughs> that was beautiful. That was a beautiful moment, guys. I'm really um Thanks, I'm really happy I witnessed that yeah. wonderful kind of bringing together of two oh, souls. Oh god, he's going to shit can it, isn't it? <laughs> no, he's not. Not he's at not. all. He's going to like it. Not at all. I look, I you know, this was the first album that I listened to for the review and very similarly was i listened to it four times actually wow. back to and front i had and a really i didn't go uh, i didn't do the i didn't do the did you was i didn't do the kevin sheedy switcheroo <laughs> i did not do the kevin sheedy switcheroo <laughs> honestly yeah. was from now on i i will only listen to records backwards first <laughs> if you don't want the interjections of anar guys getting in the way of you know great albums listen to it back to the front sorry eric go worry so yeah, I listened to this um, four times. My first listen, I was like, like I think for me there was that familiar sound and that cadence and that flow that immediately was like, ah, oh, I'm so familiar with this. I'm gonna love this. This is gonna be amazing. And I just let it roll. And that first listen was really underwhelming for me. Yeah. And then I went back for listen number two, and I had a similar response. And then I went back for listens three and four, and it, I think. Once I went to listen to three and four, that's when I started actually really listening to the lyrics, mm. um, and and like I th I was stopped getting I stopped getting dazzled by this kind of production aesthetic that I so deeply love, which I think I'm, I might lead with that. I so, I so get that, and I'm sorry to interject, but I so get that. It's so shiny and it's so glistening. This production is so overwhelming that you just you get sucked up into it. And you, you neglect lyrical mm. content. Completely. So for me, the, like, the, the song that really kind of got me was song three. So like song one, song two, it just has that sort of like, you feel like Nas is introducing the album on the first two songs. And then song three comes on, which I believe is called Car 85. And for mm. me, that was the moment that said, okay, now we're here. Now we're now we're actually in this album, and the things that I really loved about that was the I loved the Lindrum, and 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 it just had such a nice, bzz, bzz on the um on the snare drum, and you're just yep. like, oh, that's such a nice sound. They're so and natural. Then, They're and, natural and, sounding. And, and completely. And the thing that I I really also liked, and this is like, is it this or is it the opposite of this? So my notes said. That song showed how simple un, and, un, and uncomplicated hip-hop beat production can be and feel amazing uh, with no need for 25 synths and, you know, blistering trap hats. But then it got me thinking, that's not simple and 
uncomplicated. Uh, That's uh, a, a complete mastery of of the art of making beats that just make people bop. And yeah. and and so I, I was really uncertain about how to kind of present that sentence. Um, but I guess the the broad <laughs> way of 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 saying it is it just felt amazing. Um, I loved the kind of um, the lyrical content of it just being super local, super New York stories, you know, something about driving around in Queens. It just, you know, it's not my lived experience, nor, nor yours was or Ben's are, but, but it, just, it just makes you kind of, I guess, travel to those places in a way and, right and either, yeah, either yeah. Con- yeah, conjure up a memory of, of if you've traveled there or alternatively conjures up an imagery of, of, of what you think that might feel like and look like and smell like you know so i i think i think that in a in a hip-hop sense is something that we really we lack so often in um in in modern day hip-hop then i think nas is really the kind of the king along with some of those other older rappers jay-z as well who just basically transport you to the place that the experience has happened in um I loved the the song "Till the War Is Won." I, th- I just felt that the lyrics were were so incredibly heartfelt. And then finally, um, in keeping with the uh, final track review, um, which I rarely do, <laughs> but <back>. always, oh, <laughs> it's back! It's back! It's the Bloom trademark. <laughs> it's, it's the Bloom trademark that's only happened once, and now I'm bringing it back Amazing. to episode seven. Amazing. Um, I'm gonna have to ask. I'm gonna have to ask from moratorium so I can have another listen to the final track so I can actually weigh in. <laughs> You've always got to listen to it just in case he Fuck. decides to bring it up once every seven episodes. <laughs> so, the last track for me was uh, was called Spicy. I thought it was awesome. I thought oh, it, fuck, didn't I know really one, it didn't. It didn't really encapsulate. It didn't. It didn't really encapsulate like what I I look for in the last track of an album, which. To this day, still undefined. Um, but <laughs> so, no, you did define it, last, on, dude. You did on. define it in one episode. I did. You I did. I did. About, I did. Actually, it's a relative. Your issue with the final track on Nas's album is that you don't know what you're looking for in the final track <laughs> of any album. No, 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 no. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is, I know I've, I'm, I have an inconsistent <laughs> approach, but <Yeah>. broadly, <laughs> broadly, broadly. Broadly, 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 you'll what? let Nas have it. <laughs> no, hey, 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 hey! I haven't even, I haven't said a word of negative on on this last track. Broadly, a last track of an album, which was a, you can kind of, uh, you can back this up. I, I is the place where the artist can flex and 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 move in 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 a multitude of different directions. I'm glad and you I remember think, now. Thank you. Um, but so so on this on this one it didn't feel like it it skewed off in the way that i like a last track to do the thing that i loved about it though was it was super fun and i loved the line escobar money i just thought that was such a cool lyric so for me um brilliant album uh definitely a a grower and uh, if you're going to get down to this, I wouldn't give it one listen. I'd give it four to five listens and then make your, make your assessment because it gets better on every listen. It does. So to that end, why don't we go around the board and, um, and, uh, and give it the score for the uh, Budrum Real Estate Development <laughs> Tavern number. Benza, why don't you go first? Can I go first? I can't believe this uh, is the last... Boss. 
I can't believe when you say Benzer or was it, it sort of got the same inflection on the end, so it's hard <laughs> to sort of pick up. Um, I, I can't believe this is going to be the last time we're ever going to rate on the Budrum Tavern rating scale. I feel like I've, I feel a <laughs> real not. connection it's, to this uh, scale. Hey, don't let this die with me. Don't let it die. I might just go and have some beers at the Budrum Tavern then go and have a swim at the pool and play a bit of tennis (laughs) and throw my my Roby Frisbee on the oval at Budrum Primary School. Oh, I could do so many things. So on a a rating scale, it's funny, you know, know, I'm going to just say that Illmatic is is clearly a 10 out of 10 and and this was a real grower. is it a modern classic like Logic's No Pressure? Probably not. Uh, <laughs> sorry. It's too late to go there, isn't it, Eric? I won't go there. Um, is it a modern classic? It's a really, really good album, and I really enjoy listening to it. I'm going to give it, uh, for the last time, last and final time, seven taverns. What was seven? Seven taverns that are close to the Budroom Hill Budrum's real housing estate development. development. Yep. Seven. All right, Benza, over to you, man. Se- seven doesn't feel like a lot. <laughs> no, seven's good. No, seven's good. No, I mean, like I appreciate it is. Like, you know, how many taverns do you give Dark Side of the Moon, and you know, how many taverns do you give Born to Run, and how many taverns do you give, you know, uh, you know, Hallucinogens, The Lone Deranger, you know, probably different from where we come from i suppose however i i loved this record i i i really liked it i'm gonna give it seven and a half taverns i i feel like i i i want it i want it was a great wind up that you really you 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 were just like chart you were just cocking the hammer and you're like i'm gonna give this a 0.5 0.5 more than the score that was a game. <laughs> that he goes, I can't believe you gave it a 7. That's ridiculous. You, you know what? I was pretty angry it's with a 7. definitely a 7.5. No, no, to be fair, I was really angry. I was, I was angry with what's a 7 and then it kind of made a lot of sense. You know, that guy actually does know what he's talking about. He owns the pod. He knows it, Seriously, the, the, man owns oh. the man owns the pod. He does own the pod. All right, so we got a seven point five from Benza. Seven point five, like a heart, all... but like the the uh, like a really proper with all my love. Seven passionate. 5. Yeah, he's bought some yep. tradies up from Caloundra, like heavy duty for this half a half a <laughs> development. Yeah. Fuck it, eight. Pick on Eric. Fuck you. Was eight. Fucking Eric, shut up. It's eight. Put that to the board. Yeah, uh, board I'm putting. The, I'm putting this to the to I'm the board. Put that. It's going on the Instagram. Okay, <laughs> my score. Well, I'm, sorry. I, I'm really sorry. I'm gonna sc- <laughs> look. I think. I think again. Like, is this? Uh, is this an album that I'm going to listen to for a sixth and seventh time? Yes, it is going to be an album that I listen to for a sixth and seventh time. Is it going to be something that just becomes? A, a like a feature soundtrack on th- my life. I don't know if it's going to get there. Yeah. So for me, that is. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Just before Ooh, you cast judgment, if nothing, if something does not become a feature on the soundtrack to your life, does that alter your overall judgment of an album? Well, there's look, there's two categories, and uh, I'll just nip this in the bud. 
there's the soundtrack of my life that is one side of how I would kind of scale something and then there's the other one which is the soundtrack if my life was like Dawson from Dawson's Creek <laughs> and and those are that is the, the those are the two scales and we've got our clip for this week Eric we've got it you've nailed it right at the last moment last just when the Titanic was sinking you pulled it back so yeah 6.5 from me fellas it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today, Mr. Benza, um, to bring you, your wisdom, your passion, your uh, your electricity, your fire. You, you may well be all... never going to be more than my pleasure. I love you guys. Love you, Benza. You are you are truly all seven elements. I think it's seven, is it seven elements. That's what it is. I think they call you Benza Seven Elements Rinderman. We'll see you in court. Waza, thank you again for driving the ship. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the All Music Is Good podcast. We'll see you next week.